actually Christmas. It is Christmas. That song means Christmas. Fantastic. Why, hello, it is seven minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of uh, 11 and this the month of December in the year of our Lord, 2008. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed and festive studios of AM 970 The Talker. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you so much for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are here in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, and so forth. All right, it is uh, Friday, and welcome to Day 12. It is 503-733-2970. When it's uh, join us today, 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Comments, questions, clarifications, ruminations, ponderings, musings. If you'd like to share the fact that you, too, enjoy fruitcake, despite society's admonishments that you should not you like fruitcake? I do like fruitcake. I am the only person I know that likes fruitcake. There is no one else on earth that... It is as though fruitcake were created solely for me, Rick Emerson. Because I don't know anybody else that likes it. I'm not saying I'd eat it all the time. As much as I sort of make fun of Thanksgiving for being a, a you know holiday filled with food that you don't really like, because if you did, you'd eat it the rest of the year. I don't really eat fruitcake the rest of the year, although you probably could. Because everybody's covered is full of fruitcake. They've been given by some nutcase ant that they, you know, it's like you got to keep it, but you don't want to eat it and whatever. Anyway, the point is, I like fruitcake. 
And I will kill the man who disagrees with my right to enjoy it. Anyway. How does one even find fruitcake these days? Well, it's just like people give it to you. That's the thing. It's like it just shows up wrapped in aluminum foil on one of the communal tables at your I'm office. about cake with like little bits of real fruit in it, right? Sort of. It's sort of like real fruit, but it's been dyed and oh, it's been yeah, sort of gelatinized. Gelatin. Yeah. I mean, I shouldn't like it, but I do. That's the thing. We have a love for all things spongy. <laughs> real paper is here. Really? Do we have actual paper? Real paper. Hey, everybody at home should know that here at CBS Radio, we've been out of paper for a day. <laughs> and our doorknobs fall off. And Yeah, and the doorknobs don't work. So, you know. So I've been printing on this bright green paper that I managed to steal from one of the sales and assistants up there. I have some orange paper. Tim has, Tim's been printing on orange paper. Somebody upstairs was printing, uh, printing everything out on this, this paper that was, I mean, it can only be described as fuchsia. So anyway, so apparently we do actually once again have paper. Thank you, Dave Zinn. I was going to say, you know who's especially glad that we now have actual... And if anybody's listening at home, I don't mean like we were out of some special kind of paper. I mean, we didn't have any paper. No printing paper. Like the kind of paper, the 8 by 11 paper you put in the printer so you can print out whatever it is that needs printing. We haven't had any. We didn't have any yesterday. Part of one of the big three networks. Exactly. The Tiffany network. No paper. Is there any Tiffany colored paper available? Trillion dollar company. I'm sorry, there's uh, there's just no more paper. You're hard to believe it can happen, but <laughs> you're simply going to have to uh, you're simply going to have to print more with less. Well, well, how are things at your office? <laughs> Jesus. Well, that's it. Now we are in a recession. No paper. No paper. The Christmas tree will arrive this afternoon, I heard, though. God almighty. Maybe we can we make that... a Christmas tree? Yeah. Maybe we can make that into paper. All right. Well, in any event. So I've been printing everything on bright green paper. Tim's been printing on orange. Uh, I think it was Carl Magnuson upstairs having to print everything out on fuchsia paper. Well, that doesn't look manly at all. are in, uh, in orange paper. You know who's happy that we have... I guess if we've received some actual printing paper, now he's happy about that is Dave Zinn. Because Dave Zinn is sort of the, you know, he runs this whole joint. I mean, that's, let's be honest. Dave Zinn really is the gatekeeper. He yeah. is the guy that is in charge of everything. Or if you need something, he he is, I don't mean this to sound condescending, because you know this is a compliment, especially if you're a Gen Xer. He is the Radar O'Reilly of CBS Radio Portland. I mean, he is the guy that all good things come from. So... But, of course, he's just had every jackass in, in, in the building going up to him over the last day and going, hey, you know, we're uh, we're out of paper. As though you you were not, you know, like the 50th person to come up and say that. And so, hey, Dave, we're out of paper. Yes, I know. We're getting some. He was probably polite about it at some point. He like was. The, the first two or three people who said, hey, Dave, I think we're out of printer paper. He probably said, I know, you know, there was a little bit of a mix-up and we're getting some on the way. By this morning, if you ask Dave about the paper, you just got cut short with an icy gaze. There was just a cold, steely glare that came from Dave's in. He was so happy today, even no. though he was wearing his velour well, sweater. Well, I thought there might be some hidden somewhere, so I tried to make a deal with him. I told him I'd help him decorate the Christmas tree if we could get really? some paper. Really? Yes. And is that where this paper came from? No. This is uh, from the KUFO room. Ah. So they made a deal. All right. Dave's in. <laughs> Clearly. Well, they're KUFO. They probably offered him something untoward. That'd be just my, you know, like five minutes in a closet with court. You know, that'd be my guess anyway. What? That's a valuable pro. I'd do what something for them. when we leave. What? Look over there. Uh, in any event. Well, this is like that time a few weeks ago. I don't think you guys were here, but um, it was on a uh, it was on a Friday afternoon, I think. No, no, it must not. It must have been during. It must have been during the day, but we ran out of coffee at some point. 
Like upstairs, I think at least they, there was no coffee, and Dave is the guy who was sort of again. It wasn't through any fault of Dave's. It was like the delivery truck was just late, or you know whatever, um, or we were supposed to get it from DHL. Uh, but it, so we just no coffee arrived, and again, poor Dave's in. Who that's the curse of being the guy who runs the entire place is that when something, with you know what Dave's in even, and then we'll quit talking about Dave's in. I swear, uh, but but he must like hearing about. Dave's. Here's the thing: is even more than being the Radar O'Reilly of CBS Radio, which he is. You know what Dave, Dave Zinn also is? Dave Zinn is like Morgan Freeman in the Shawshank Redemption. Dave Zinn is the man who can get your things. You know what I mean? You don't mess with Dave Zinn. Shoelaces are a stick of gum. It, it doesn't matter what you need. I need a rock hammer. Uh, Dave Zinn can get it for you. But, of course, if you cross Dave Zinn, if Dave Zinn becomes your enemy, then it is a cold, cold world in which you live. Mm-hmm. A cold world bereft of paper and caffeine. Anyway, so, but he's had every jackass salesperson ever going, yeah, the paper. So, anyway, so I guess we've got some back. And hello to you. All right, it is uh, Friday. Here's what's coming up today. CNN Radio Correspondent Lisa Desjardins will join us from the Hill today. Uh, we'll talk to CNN Radio Correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. We will talk to CNN Radio Correspondent James Roop about Orenthal James Simpson, who's going away for the holidays. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, Merry Christmas, OJ, you're in jail! Uh, Geek Watch coming up today, and uh, of course the Geek himself today will have Aaron Geek in the city, Duran, joining us. Uh, the one and only Storm Large coming by the, uh, the studios today as well. She'll be here in the 2 o'clock hour. Uh, we'll try to get to yesterday's top five today. Yesterday's top five is the new black, and also today's top five. It is uh, the top five comeback albums of all time. Try to get to that. Uh, let's see, what else? This is the last day I have to read this. Uh, last day I get to read this. Wait, should I stop the mono bed? No. No. Keep it going, please. It, we need we needed it to fill slack moments. Like, Today, shut up. Actually, I'm going to quit saying that every time I talk about this guy, Richie Film. It makes me tense. Today, one random on-air caller wins run of engagement passes to Rock and Rolla, the new film from Guy Richie, written and directed by him. It's so all knuckle down and we'll get through this. In London, a real estate scam puts millions of pounds up for grabs, attracting some of the city's scrappiest tough guys and its more established underworld types. Then what happens? I hate you. All of whom are looking to get rich quick. While the city's seasoned criminals vie for the cash, an unexpected player, a drugged-out rock and roller, presumed to be dead but very much alive, has a multi-million dollar prize fall into his hands. That is the new film written and directed by Guy Ritchie, Rock and Roller. One random on-air caller wins passes to that. Oh, and I lied, because I think the glorious bastard wins passes, which means I get to read it again later for that. So, hooray! And this is all true. All right, uh, anyway, it's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. want to email, you can do that as well. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah at 970.am. Tim at 970.am. Or Richie with a T at 970.am. We'll get your phone calls here in a second. Um, hey, Richie, FYI, I don't know, you might be busy doing stuff. I don't know if you've been screening calls or not. If so, I can't. Just let me know you get a chance. I'm not sure if I can. Sometimes Richie doesn't get a chance to screen the calls because he's busy doing the million and one things he does. Sometimes he does screen the calls, but they don't appear. Okay, there you go. Yeah, I can see that. Thank you. All right, it is working. And sometimes the call screening stuff, there's a little gremlin on the wing of the plane and so forth. Tim Riley working on the following stories for your edification on this Friday. So OJ is sentenced to a minimum of seven and a half years or a maximum of 15 years. More than 100 guns are stolen from a Vancouver shop. A Gresham student is charged with poking three classmates with a needle. A student at another school is charged with poking a classmate with a pen. 
A British mother has been convicted of kidnapping her own child to collect reward money. She was getting away with it. It's the biggest monthly job loss in 34 years. 533,000 jobs were lost in November alone. One in ten American homeowners are at least one month behind on their mortgage payment or in foreclosure. That's one in ten. A man is stabbed to death for a hugging a mic at a karaoke bar. Really? Yeah. All right. I mean, I'm not... Uh, where? Was this in America? It was in America. Because, you know, some of the other cultures, they take their karaoke very seriously. In America, they take it seriously as well. Apparently so. I mean, the the evidence would indicate that is the case. Uh, we're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon. Hello. How are you? Hello. I'm doing very well. Uh, I like that shirt. Thanks. Kind of a cool, stripey, black, white, yellow ensemble. Ensemble. They're wearing today. Yeah, I got to touch uh, Baby Girl Boutique. All right, then. Yeah. Um... Oh, we'll talk about my name. What did you do last night, Sarah Dillon? Well, Rick Emerson, I actually uh, went out with a couple of co-workers. I hung out with Sarah Wagner and Chris Paddock, and that was fun. We just had a bunch of drinks and talked, you know, radio and whatnot. It was a lot of fun. If you guys were a morning show, they'd call you like, uh, you'd be the Chris and Sarah squared morning show. I don't know why that occurred to me. And every time we talk to somebody, he's like, I'm out with the Sarahs, and it just sounds The Sarahs, crazy. yeah. All no, right, but they're, then. yeah, they're great. I love the people. Uh, let's see. What did I do last night? Oh, I watched Dexter. So I finally, I am finally caught up. So did you see that, the... I haven't watched the trailer. Okay. I haven't watched the trailer yet. I, I just finished the 10th episode, which I believe brings me up to speed. Somebody let me know if I'm wrong about that. But I, I have just seen episode 10 of this season's Dexters. So I think I'm caught up. I think that puts, I think that brings me in line with everybody else who's watching Dexter right now. Um, I don't know how many, how many are left. I think it's like a 12, 12 episode season, something like that. I don't really know. So um, anyway, but I, but I just watched season season three episodes nine and ten last night. So I am now caught up. And uh, spoilers, lol. Turn down the radio for the next ten seconds if you don't want to know what happens in episode ten of Dexter season three. All right, all right. So I just watched the one. It ends with the big confrontation between Dexter and Jimmy Smits, uh, Miguel, on the roof, uh, and it turns out the, the Skinner is watching uh, via binoculars or whatever from the other place. So that's the one I just finished last night. So I think I am now caught up. I think that's it. I don't know how many are, how many are left in this season, but I, I believe I am now sort of up to speed with, with all the happenings and the goings-on in the world of Dexter. Just, you know, like FYI. And we have paper. All the right. Skinner sounds creepier than the ice truck. Color. The Skinner is pretty creepy. He really is. He's. I saw one episode when I, was, when I had dinner over at Storm and Davies, and it was like he'd kill a boy or something. And yeah, no, it's all half of him. Well, it's a whole Buffalo Bill. Like I'm making a suit. It kind of. Really? It's one of the. Well, he's not making a suit, but it's that kind of a thing where he cuts off like big swatches of your skin. It's all very unpleasant. I mean, I guess I have no right to complain about how it's unpleasant and morbid when it's a show where the hero is a serial killer. I think when you begin watching a program where the hero is a guy who kills people slowly by cutting them up, you forfeit any right to complain about this show's kind of gross. Like you're just cut off people's skin. Yeah, you're not really allowed to complain about that. I mean, you could, but who would possibly care? All right, uh, let's see. What else? Well, I guess that's pretty much it. I went to the just so I can wrap up the storyline nobody cares about. I went to the mall and they finally did have my uh, bracelet fixed. Did they ask you? Uh, did, did anyone ask you any questions? Did you act like a crazy person? No, no. See, I wasn't, and that's the other thing is I, I wasn't con- confronted by any of the kiosk folks because I went at like eight fifty-five. Like the mall, they were all. I want to go with you done. sometime with a video camera, and I want you to do that thing where someone asks you a question, and I like just stare. Just turning around and staring at them, and then just kind of clench my hands spasmodically, like I'm thinking about you know what it would feel like to close off their trachea. Yeah. I mean, not that I ever think about that. I think about it all the time. Uh, we'll get some calls here in just a moment. Uh, let's see. I have a quote. I wrote this down this morning. 
Here's the thing, and I know you haven't read these books, Sarah, but you will eventually, of course. It's the a, Twilight? It's a virus. Yeah, apparently... Yeah, Sarah Wagner was going on and on about them yesterday. Here's the weird thing about those Twilight books, and keep in mind, I've read the first chapter of the first book, and that's about it. Um, I'll get back to it at some point. But I um, I think I told the story about how on Monday, in, in the course of one day... I mean, those are big-ass books, too. In the course of one day, my wife read the entire first book. Uh, I got up at about, uh, I don't know, 8 in the morning. She was out in the living room. She was 50 pages in. I got home that night at 7. She hadn't moved off the couch except, I think, to eat and use the facilities. And she just stayed. She hadn't even dressed. I got home Monday night. She was, I swear to God, she was still in her bathrobe, sitting on the couch with a dog on each side in her bathrobe, reading the Twilight book. And that's all she'd done all day long. She's like, I ate. I got some coffee. I used the facilities. Now I'm back on the couch. That was it. And you got to know this about my wife. Because I think there's some... I think those books are made out of crack or something. Because here's the deal. you got to know this about my wife. My wife has zero taste for fantasy, sci-fi, supernatural, whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Lord of the Rings or sci-fi books, of, you know, science fiction, you know, any, any you know, a- a- Asimov, anything like that. My wife has zero taste for anything that is sort of fanciful in the world. I mean, she'll read a lot of fiction, but it's all like I was uh, molested by my uncle in a trailer park fiction. It's all Oprah fiction. You know what I mean? It's all a lot of, I'm in a sweaty family where everybody drinks and punches each other all day. And then I grow up to work in the fashion industry, but I have unresolved mother issues. So that's her all... I, we, yeah, we used to exchange books all the time. Totally. We the same kind of It's book. the whole thing. Everything she reads is like some variation on Bastard Out of Carolina and or The Divine that's Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood. With the, with the beating and the molesting. I'm Seriously. Like, that's what I was thinking about. A whole bunch of grubby, uh, grubby families uh, eating grits and touching each other. So... Anyway, but so she she doesn't like sort of fantasy supernatural stuff at all ever, and that that first Twilight book though literally in a day she consumed the whole thing, <clears throat> and she called me at work and she's like, so uh, do you have the second book in the series? I'm like, yeah, Mailman Chris dropped the second. She bring it home, bring it home now. So, but that day, the day that she called me, she's like, you gotta bring him the second Twilight book. I have to read it now. I walked down here to the, uh, to, the, to, the, to the second floor, and James Robinson was down here with his uh, beloved, his uh, his his wife. Um, I think they did get married. Finally. They did yeah, get married they, so his wife. And she's clutching the second Twilight book. She's like, I gotta go home and read this, James. Come on, let's move. Then I talked to Sarah Wagner, who again, Sarah Wagner, does not care for at all fantasy, sci-fi, supernatural. They tried. Somebody tried to get her to read that Golden Compass book. She went into that Twilight books, just sucked them down like they were so many uh, gingerbread lattes. Um, who, there's somebody else I knew, but anyway, you get the point. I mean, chicks who pick those books up, it's some. There's some weird virus in there that makes you read them, even if you're not into it. I mean, now you're, I'm kind of curious. I want to see if it'll snag. I have the first one. Uh, I read the first chapter, and you know, I'm not a girl, so I mean, what do I know? But I mean, it's. I mean, it's, it seems okay. But my, what, there's some sort. She has a problem, man. But I made this observation because <coughs> because I heard from. Pardon me. <coughs> I heard from a female coworker today. She's like, oh, I don't know. I don't even know whether I want to pick it up. She's like, I got all this stuff to do this weekend. And she's like, if I pick up one of those Twilight books, I'm never going to put it down. And, you know, I made this note to myself. Twilight is to chicks as that left for dead game is to guys. Because I have to tell you this. I've been getting emails, like, left and right from guys who are either playing left for dead, which just came out last Tuesday for the Xbox 360, and it's either just sucking all their time away. Like down the drain, or I'm getting emails from guys who are saying that they actually either rented it or have not played it yet, and don't they they won't buy it. They're like, I'm afraid to buy it because I know that my whole life is going to be gone. This one guy said that he has his. This one guy said he works in an office where all the guys he knows 
at the office. They have all gotten together around the water cooler where you discuss things and shared stories of how it's all they can do. He's like, it has wholly consumed them. He said, it's for that reason I can never buy it. He said, it seems to have taken over their whole life. So I'm just saying... Everybody seems to have their little uh, their little thing they're hooked on right now. Uh, let's get a couple of these calls. Oh, i got to tell that drug story. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Is this me? Yes, it is. Hello, sir. Hey, sir. I have got to call you there, fruitcake. About the fruitcake. i got the fruitcake of all fruitcakes. It is made by Trappist Monks in Missouri. Trappist I Monks? I swear to God, it's made at a monastery. These guys candy all their own fruit. Mm. They age these fruitcakes, and then they inject them with syringes. Aged fruitcakes. Oh, I'm telling you. I'm, I'm going to give you the website. you got to look at it. It'll blow your mind. All right. It's supposedly $28 for a two-pound fruitcake, right? Mm-hmm. They sold like 30,000 fruitcakes last year. You have a limit on them. You can only like buy four of them a year. Well, I mean, which is fine with me because, A, I don't know anybody else who likes fruitcake, and, B, as much as I really do like it in a strange way, there's only so much you can eat. The, the, the category in your head labeled fruitcake consumption, that gets filled pretty quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. But I'm just telling you, man, this is something you've got to check it out. It's at TrappistMonks.com. TrappistMonks.com. Check it out. You're going to love the fruitcake there, fruitcake. All right. Thank you, Sizzle Chest. All right. Hi, <laughs> ah, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Anya? Uh, um, well done. Yes, hello. Hi, yes. <laughs> hey, I bought my uh, first jar of Baconese last week. Uh, okay, Baconese, which, to be fair, I got actually got it at home, still sealed, haven't had a chance to use it yet. How is oh, it? I don't know. It's on my first sandwich today. So you haven't so, quite, you haven't tried it quite yet? I, I, well, I had to tear myself away from sticking my pinky in it and trying it this morning to actually make my sandwich. So you're actually, you're, but you're waiting, delayed gratification is the name of the game. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and I actually had to hide the fact that I bought it because I bought bacon salt at the same time because we don't have a QSC by a place. So right. You don't want to look like you have a problem. And, yeah. I, my wife, I said, oh, look, I got bacon salt. And then but I was kind of waiting for her to leave the room before I put the other thing in the fridge, the bacon ace. Because, like, can we be honest? I know there are exceptions, but sometimes that's a thing that women won't understand, you know? Well, no, she doesn't. When I first told her about it because I heard about it on the show, she's like, that sounds disgusting. So right. See, that's the thing. In is... the back, it's behind the old blue cheese dressing. Dude, see, I totally do that, too. Does everybody here, I mean... Maybe not, but I mean, I certainly have a place where a go-to place where I hide food that I don't want Lara to see. I mean, I have a, there is a place in the house I can say because you're not listening to us, but but then somebody will rat her out, you know, rat me out of her. But I got to say, there's this one place where I hide, like if I buy a box of Kraft macaroni because I'm trying to stay off that, but occasionally I give in or something. There is a place in the house where I hide food I don't want her to see. So I'm glad to know that you have the same thing going on to your house, sir. No problem. All right. Thank you. Well, let me know how it is. Drop me an email or call. Let me know how it uh, how it tastes. Oh, definitely. Well, on my pinky, it was fantastic. Yeah. Imagining with turkey, it'll be great. Bacon A's goes great with your own pinky. All That's right. right. Thank you. Thank you. Because right. everything should taste like bacon. All right. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Uh, so I got a great email from Todd the Corpse last night. He said, hey, Rick. It was kind of one of those great Todd the Corpse emails. It was funny and taunting all at once. Sort of like the woman who does my shirts. Um, you don't look so fat anymore. You look good. Uh, Todd the Corpse sends me an email last night. He goes, hey, I just found some mugs in my basement. Are they yours? So here's the thing about my Did Christmas decoration. No, no. You know the answer to that. I would have told you. So I found, I can't, this is one. I think you would have probably called me. <laughs> this is one magical missing box of Christmas decorations in my house. It's like a big tub or a crate or a box or whatever. I found all my Christmas decorations except for this one goddamned box. I found my lights. 
I found I have these cool candles uh, that you know they smell like Christmas or whatever. But then the candle, whatever you call it, the the little wax catching thing at the bottom is shaped like a big metal snowflake. I got lights for all the windows of my house. Let's see what else do I have? I have these little wrought iron candles that look like Christmas trees that go on all of my speakers in the living room. Uh, I've got the uh, pot holders. I've got the uh, like little hand towels for the kitchen. I got like a little Santa soap thing. Think whatever you want. I love Christmas. Anybody didn't like that? It's uh, that's your problem. So, but I can't find. There's this box that has my wreath and my mugs, my mugs which have jaunty snowmen on them. And it just pains me that I can't find the mugs. So I'm last night going over, poking around in the basement, just like, yeah, they got to be. And you know, it's that whole thing of like, it must be here somewhere. So I'm doing that thing like they do after an airplane crash where they get a team of guys to walk through a field in a, in a line, looking at every square inch of grass, one, you know, one at a time, looking through every square inch of my basement, trying to find the, the Christmas mugs and the whatever. Don't ever find them, of course. But you know what I did? Do you ever do this? You ever just start opening old drawers and you go, that's weird. I forgot I have this. Oh, totally. Why didn't I throw this away, or why did I put this down here? I have drawers and things at my house that I'll just move from one apartment to the other and just, like, take the drawer and just put it back in. So I have, like, things from, like, years ago that I never even look at. Totally. I keep it all in the drawer when I move. It's like the rings in a tree. Mm-hmm. Totally. In the, and when you look at an old drawer, it reminds, like, it does, when you look at an old drawer, it is sort of like a weird flashback to, like, some whole thing you went through, and you're like... Oh, yeah, I forgot about that time in my life, but looking in this drawer has reminded me. I always find a lot of expired, like, restaurant coupons that I never use. You know what I found that was expired last night? It wasn't so much restaurant uh, coupons as it was drugs. Um, and so I opened this drawer, and it was apparently when Laura and I had moved from our last place to this place. And we had just taken, you know, you have, like, a catch-all place in your medicine cabinet where you just shove everything. Mm-hmm. And so it was a whole drawer of, like, old medication. And I'm here to tell you, friends and neighbors, it's the good medication. Uh, and I think, and I don't think it's illegal to have now, because it, you know what I mean? Because well, it was legal were, when I bought it. It was prescribed to you, right? Well, no, no. Well, well, there's, well, there's yes and no, Sarah. Um, <laughs> so part of the medication that I found, and I think I'm zen with the fact that we're just going to run late in this segment. Um, we'll just go into the Lisa segment and then maybe uh, break or something after that. I, uh, I don't know. I, I just don't. I can't stop this story now. The train's running. I got to go with it. So I found two different kinds of medication. One. I found a whole drawer full of cold and cough medication from before the big uh, pseudoephedrine ban. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about Sudafed. Like stuff that works. Well, you know, like the actual Sudafed, which is not even cold and cough. That's just like an allergy thing. Sudafed, which is full of pseudoephedrine, which I do believe is what they make meth out of. Uh, that and like, I don't know, Comet Cleanser or whatever they have, barbed wire. So I found a whole bunch of, of uh, Sudafed. You know what else I found? Bunch of that, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, like the like the Nyquil and the Dayquil, all the stuff, the Alka Seltzer with it, all that stuff that has the pseudoephedrine in it that you can't buy anymore. At least not in our state. I think in Washington the man is not quite cracked down as much. But mm. anyway, I found all of this cold and cough stuff just filled with drugs that you can't own legally now. So I don't think that's illegal though, because I I bought it back when it was legal, stuck it in a drawer and forgot about it. So I don't believe I'm a criminal. Um, but you know, so Laura and I, you know what I immediately did though. I immediately went upstairs to the current medicine cabinet, and I, like, partitioned off a whole section. And I put all of these, like, old cold cough remedies way past their expiration date. Oh, but that doesn't mean you know it still works, no, baby. it totally works. And that's why it's illegal, because it works, because mm-hmm. the man doesn't want you to have anything that works. So, no, 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 have some bee pollen. So, um, so I stuck all of it up there, and I said, baby, everything on the left, you can use that later. That doesn't work. Everything on the right... This is the good stuff. Next time you get a cold... Now it's like I almost want to get a cold again. 
Like, I almost want to be sniffly just so I can go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Where's that pseudoephedrine? Oh, yeah. You know, just so I can feel the sweet relief. So I've had all of this good medication in the basement. And then right next to that, so that's in drawer number one. And then in drawer number two, do you ever do this in your house? Do you ever find not a box of pills or the bottle of pills, but it's one of those, what, how, how do you describe this? You know what I mean? One of those like aluminum strips that you punch the pills out the back. You know what I'm talking about? I like birth control pills. I, yeah, kind of, yeah, actually kind of like that, like a birth control thing. But it's like strips. And, it, it, you know, it's like when you used to buy, you know, whatever, like Sudafed. And it's like these aluminum foil, foil uh, individually sealed pills. And you press the pill and it pops out the back through the aluminum foil. So I found a whole big, like, 30 of those. No box, no no, no uh, bottle. And I'm looking at these and I'm like, what are these were pills? Were they little and red? No, they were little and white. And I'm looking at them going, what are these pills? And I look at the back and there's no, all it has is the chemical name. It's like blah, 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 zine. And I'm like, what? And I'm, you know, my wife's in there something, baby, what is blah, blah, zine? And she's like, I don't know, I think it's like an allergy thing. And I said, huh. And I said, okay. That's what I was thinking. And so I set them aside. And then because I'm a completist, what do I do? I'll go upstairs later and I go to Google. You know, go to Google and I Google like blah, 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 zine, whatever it is. So, speaking about a slice of yesteryear, do you know what they are? In my basement, found a whole bunch of my old Zoloft that I never took. Happy pills. There you go. Well, not for me. For me, they were unhappy, twitchy pills. Um, this is many, many years ago. This is, uh, Jesus, almost a decade ago. God damn, I've been... Zoloft from 10 years ago? I've been crazy forever. Um, so this is many... And we'll get Lisa Desjardins here in a, in a few, but um, maybe she'd like to talk about my craziness, uh, which apparently is now being untreated. So... But many years ago, I had a uh, I had a shrink tell me, you know, you really ought to be on Prozac, and I just resisted and resisted and resisted, and finally they gave me this. Uh, they they I I can you know the I I acceded. Finally they convinced me to go on Prozac, and I went on Prozac, and it didn't really. I'm Prozac not, didn't work for me. Well, and see, well, okay, see, and I didn't know if we have we ever talked about that. No. Oh, I don't care. Well, here we are. So yeah. Prozac <laughs> didn't work for you when you took it, which is yeah. however long ago. Yeah. Um, and it didn't work for me. It. Uh, in other words, not the way it was supposed to, I think. It made me uh, jittery, and then also it made me just feel all... Uh, you know what? It, here's how I describe being on Prozac. It was as though all my emotions... I don't mean to sound girly about it, but although, you know, sort of all my emotions and all my whatever, it was like they were on a shelf I couldn't quite reach. I could see them, mm -hmm. couldn't quite reach it them. It kind of made me a zombie. Like, it makes you kind of go through the motions. Yeah. Like... I remember nothing, what it's like to act human. I know nothing phases you because you can't feel anything. Yeah, that was my thing. It that was, was me too. Totally. Like all my sort of uh, right brain functions were behind glass. Could see them, couldn't touch them or use them. And so I got off Prozac. And then he, whoever this shrink was, and I remember, was like, hey, well, uh, try some Zoloft. They were just like rotating me through all these drugs. And I was like, fine, bastards, I'll try Zoloft. And Zoloft just flat out did nothing. Nothing at all. No jittery, no weird. I mean, didn't make me feel better, didn't make me feel worse, and don't, and quit, cancel your email now, but you need to take it for six, I took it for however many weeks, it wasn't like I took it for a day, I took it for the full amp up period of time, it just didn't work, it just did, did nothing at all, and so I stuck it in a drawer, forgot about it, until I was looking for the Christmas mugs, and there's my old Zoloft, so if anybody out there wants Zoloft, I won't give it to you, because that would be illegal, I just like the idea of holding it over you, like the ephedrine that I found. Uh, all right, let's welcome, we'll get calls here about ephedrine and Christmas in a moment. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. Presumably less crazy than Sarah and I, uh, Lisa Desjardins. Hello, how are you? Hey, I'm just excited. 
excited. You were looking for Christmas mugs. Like, you have Christmas mugs, and you were looking for them. Oh, you don't even know. Sarah's had to hear this for like four days now. Every, oh, okay. every day. About uh, him no, no, no. Christmas mugs. I love Christmas. I love Christmas. I love it. I love Christmas. Yeah. Everything in me. And I uh, Christmas decorating is a big ritual every year at our house um, where uh, I put up the Halloween decorations at the beginning of October. I skip Thanksgiving. As soon as Thanksgiving is over, I leave them up through Thanksgiving, my Halloween stuff. Uh, as soon as Thanksgiving is over, uh, Lara and I take a, take a Saturday. We take down all the fa- the uh, Halloween decorations. We put up all the we put on. Uh, I have I have a special. Uh, you can't say mixtape anymore, but I have a special mix of music that I put together. It is the Christmas remixed album followed by the Frank Sinatra Christmas album, A Jolly Christmas from Frank Sinatra. Oh. I put that on. Lara and I decorate the house, and then we have either cider, uh, cider or like a hot chocolate or some similar drink. Uh, oh my God! And then we go tobogganing. We don't really toboggan, but I got all these Christmas decorations, so I put everything up. There's this one missing box, and it's got my wreath, and it's got my special snowman holiday mugs, and it's just filling me with agita that I can't find them. On the drugs, I was thinking as you were saying this, you know, I wonder, the drugs that are illegal, if they were legal and prescribed, do you think people would be complaining about them the same way? It would be like... You know, whatever the legal name of like ecstasy would be, like yeah, I don't know, I don't know, I don't, it, it drives me, it makes makes me nervous. Seriously, that's a good point actually. If ecstasy was a thing your doctor gave you, do you think people would say, I don't know, man, I found that it, uh, yeah, it made my hair, you know, it made my hair get split ends real bad, like so I uh, had to quit. Crazy it. the whole next week, I just didn't feel right. Ser- seriously, I get that's an interesting point. Now that I think about it, and I guess yeah. I guess split ends would be the least your problem. I guess there are actually real <laughs> real side effects from that drug. I don't need to create a comic one, but that's a good point because you know you take um, I don't know I'm hopelessly lame, but you take I don't know whatever uh, take your uh, take your cocaine for example. Take your cocaine, yeah. Cocaine I do believe has some negative side effects. That's what they told me in high school anyway. Right. Such as wanting to kill everybody around you, also a uh, fondness for weapons, and. But, I mean, okay, so cocaine makes you, let's say, a little jittery and maybe uh, a little bit paranoid, twitchy. Maybe you, uh, you know, maybe you're a little scratching yourself all the time. If cocaine was a drug that the doctor prescribed for, like, I don't know, uh, uh, let's say, uh, I don't know, narcolepsy. Right. You know, or fatigue. Well, you know, I've got just the thing for that, Jimmy. Here's some Peruvian marching powder. Right. Do you, do you think people would sit there at Starbucks and they would be having their chai tea and they go, you know, the doctor put me on that, um, what's it called, that cocaine? And, um, you know, it's okay. I mean, it does wake me up, but I, um, do you I mean, find that we... for a couple of hours, but after that... <laughs> totally. Do you find that you have, like, the cocaine works, but it's like, I have a real bad crash afterwards, so, I mean... I was thinking about maybe getting like a time release cocaine if they have that, because maybe you would sort of like even it out throughout the day or, um, you know, I was thinking maybe, you know, maybe he could do this. Like maybe they could give me like a cocaine, you know, like for the weekend. But then during the week, it would be something else. Like during the week, like maybe just like uh, like amphetamines uh, or something. I don't know. What have, what, what have you tried? And then you'd say, well, I don't know. Um, you know, I went I went to the doctor for something else. You know, I don't have that narcolepsy. But, uh, you know, I, I do. Uh, I do have this real strong, uh, I do have this uh, real strong aesthetic deficiency, and so they prescribe this drug called mescaline to me. <laughs> that's a really, that's a really interesting idea. An alternative world where hard street drugs were legal, and how we would feel about them if our doctor gave them to us. Right. And how imperfect they would be. And how that the thing is, you would just because that's the thing. Like, let me tell you this right now. Uh, I'm not advocating drug use, but I'm saying if, if, you know, in our life, if you happen to know anybody who's ever done some of those drugs, you know that they don't ever find any problems with them. They, no, nobody you know that does a lot of cocaine has anything bad to say about it. Yeah. The only thing bad thing, the only bad they have to say about cocaine is that they never quite seem to have enough of it. So, 
But if the doctor forced you to take it, if the doctor was like, I want you to start taking this cocaine, it really is going to be the best thing for you, suddenly you might you might fight it. You would. I think like, I don't know. It, no, it just it ruins my appetite, you know? Right. And I think the fact that it's illegal is what's like, yeah, I got to get it. Ah, well, all right. Well, in, in any event, hey, but by the way, have you ever seen that History Channel series called Hooked? No. Okay, sister, I'm telling you right now, very rarely do I just flat out tell you you have to watch something. But if you are fascinated by either the drug culture or drug legalization or illegality, the drug war, um, the history of drugs, which I, you know, the, stuff like that really fascinates me. Um, there's a series on the History Channel, seven-part series, I think, called Hooked, uh, Illegal Drugs and How They Got That Way. And oh, it, really? Each episode, is seven episodes, I think, each episode takes a currently illegal hard or street drug and examines, takes it all the way from the very beginning. Like, when did that drug come into existence? How did it enter society? And how did it become illegal? Because, you know, up until like 19, Jesus, I want to say like 1930, maybe. Up until about 1930, there was no such thing as an illegal drug in America. Drugs were not illegal. That was considered beyond, uh, you know, the, the reach of the Constitution. So you would see these. Here's a, and just, we'll talk about actual news here in a second. But you will see these really, really hilarious, like Sears Roebuck things. Uh, where it's like, you know, buy some heroin today, won't you? You know, all these patent drugs where every single, every single patent drug, the, you know, the ingredient was just morphine. Um, wow. You now, know. is it what kind of a middle line, or is it, does it seem to say, oh, these drugs shouldn't be illegal? or they Well, they, they note that obviously drugs have any number of bad, you know, there's any number of bad uh, things that are brought with drugs. You know, they do obviously health problems and they, you know, dependency and, you know, uh, you know, well, you know, and they talk about, you know, even, for example, uh, the opium uh, plague of China, which really just to a large degree decimated uh, China. Uh, because, you know, just nobody wanted to do anything, and the infrastructure of the, cr of the country just crumbled. Oh, that's interesting. I asked because my dad is actually, um, like, an, an alcohol uh, alcohol and drug professor. <laughs> and But he used to be a Navy captain, so he's kind of the more conservative end of it. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking of recommending it to him, too, but I didn't know if it's, if it's really, if it's, like, at all pro-drug, he, he would not like it. It's it really no it's not a, it's not pro drug as such but they do note that they the, question they know that we the, are and how we got here. Well, that the war on drugs is perhaps uh ill advised in okay. terms of dealing with drugs. Um for example, he, he might yeah, he would I think he could agree with You know, they do argue I think implicitly that it is a health issue and not a criminal issue it shouldn't be anyway. Uh, the the guy there's this guy on there though, he's a professor of something or other, professor of economics and he does make the single best argument I've ever heard against the illegalization, the war on drugs, and it's the huh. it's called the ballpoint pen argument. Okay. And he holds up this, he takes this pen out of his pocket, just like this, and he holds a pen up and he says, let's say I could make this pen in my basement for $1, and I could sell it on my street for $17,000. <laughs> Is there any law strong enough to keep me from trying that? You know, making it for a buck, selling it for 17000 bucks. Is there any law that would keep me from trying to do that as a business? And he said, no, probably not for some people. And that's, that's the, you know, that is the war on drugs in a nutshell. You know, you know make it for one, sell it for 17000 Wow, we could get into a huge discussion here. I'm holding myself back. That's really interesting. All right. As a final note, it should be no, noted that... Uh, coming up. Yeah. And it should be noted that the Bayer Aspirin Company used to sell a... You know, they used to market heroin as a, uh, as a cure for morphine addiction. 
Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, so there you go. <laughs> which maybe not, probably wasn't false advertising. Yeah, it's a little bit of a tomato, tomato, heroin, heroin thing. Well. <laughs> uh, all right, where are we at with our good friends, the auto industry? Yeah, they are packing up. They're getting ready to hit the road back to Detroit. The final hearing, hearing with the House, uh, for automakers anyway, ended uh, a couple hours ago. Mm-hmm. Three hours today, not as long as with the Senate. Uh, they're still going strong, though. They're talking to all of these uh, other experts right now in that hearing. But, you know, the automakers didn't say anything new necessarily today. They still said, we are changing our ways. We're better. We're stronger. We just need your money to survive. Uh, but... Not unexpectedly, House much much more skeptical, uh, you know, and in fact, one Democrat said, you know, this is not, you know, I can't believe that you think we're going to play this game of chicken, meaning everyone is saying you have to give them money or the world's going to collapse. And more lawmakers today were saying, yeah, like I'm willing, to, I'm willing to see, I'm willing to find out if the world actually collapses. Now, they're in the minority still, though. I think what's going on is uh, behind closed doors this whole weekend, lots of phone calls, lots of maybe arm twisting, trying to figure out some kind of deal. It runs the gamut right now from some people say, let's just give them whatever they need for this month or whatever they need until inauguration for $8 billion, $10 billion, and then we'll come back and deal with more. Others say, no, give them the whole $34 billion. Uh, it, it's really completely up in the air. Congress unhappy with the whole situation. You know, I I did read, uh, and I I think I mentioned this to you before, an an article where they interviewed a lot of, I think, Toyota workers. Mm. And the Toyota workers were like, well, you know, the economy kind of sucks, but everything's fine here. You know, big Christmas bonus coming up. And that everything was more or less you know, relatively good uh, at, you know, this this Toyota plant here in America. And it really does seem that some senator at some point would, would kind of yank some of these guys from Honda and Toyota, you know, their 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 American factories, uh, in you know, up in front of Congress and just have them like do a little like freestyle riff about like, well, here's why things suck less for us. Like here's 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 what we're doing right, as a little object lesson to some of these other car manufacturers. Well, you know, did you see him? I think did something good. You know, we put a reporter in you know a, a car plant today. I think I think it's GM. I'm not sure because um, I've been watching it on the other channel. Uh, but I uh, and been interviewing car workers. I think one of the best interviews I heard from that was uh, one auto worker who said, "I just in the past couple of days watching coverage of these hearings, only only through that have I realized what a bad image we have." Like I really thought the American car industry was like bed and butter, butter apple pie. That yeah. Every, everyone loved us, you uh-huh. know, and, and 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 you could see in his eyes this really stunning realization that. No, people don't trust the American cars. They don't think they're well made. Don't trust car workers. Think right. they're overpaid. He he was just astounded. And so it's you know it's this incredible gap that they're now trying to bridge because the truth is somewhere in the middle that car American cars are getting better. Workers are getting paid less, but the American public the, the trust and, is gone. And just two two things on that note. I got an email yesterday. A really well you know really great reasoned email from a listener of ours who has two generations of family who've worked for for GM. And his thing was, he's like, why all the disproportionate hate for the auto industry? Like, why does the auto industry seem to get so much of the brunt of this? And I noted that, A, you know, it's just their turn. You know, they're they're the ones in front of Congress right now. So it's, you know, they're they're just the ones, you know, they're they're the ones in the camera's eye right now. And Americans got a short attention span and can only focus on a couple things at once. So it's their turn. They've gone through this before, like in the 70s. They should have been prepared. Right. Um, and the other thing I noted is that the reason that the auto industry, I think, is getting so much of the brunt from the American people 
is because, by and large, we don't know who got that $700 billion bailout. We don't know who those companies are. We know GM and Ford and Chrysler. But you know what? I couldn't... But, I, yeah. We know the giant big yeah. banks. But, but, I, but I couldn't tell you the businesses that got that $700 billion. So it's like, you, you know, you focus your anger on the folks you yeah, know. Yeah, the people, and you know, that's right. And you buy their products. You have their products sitting in your driveway or some your neighbor's driveway yeah um, i gotta throw something in really quick we just got this piece of news that apparently the woman in charge of safety for the port of boston uh working for the department of homeland security customs and border protection mm-hmm. um has been arrested for hiring um illegal aliens to clean her condo wow yeah, and apparently uh, they actually put a wire on one of the women and recorded a conversation where this cleaning worker asked her boss what she could do to get legal status. And there's this whole back and forth about, you know, well, don't leave the country because you, be you won't make it back in, and here's, I'll see what I can do. So here is this woman uh, guarding the port of Boston for customs and border protection, but also um, trying to help uh, her illegal alien cleaning lady oh. and i mean it just raises so many questions about our immigration policy that it's unreal well you know uh, just to bring it all back home i will say this uh to, to some extent the immigration uh let's say problem we're having in this country is very much like the seventeen thousand dollar ballpoint pen um right yeah. i think that's right and but i think you know here we have even uh the agency that is supposed to be in for you know i mean it clearly isn't the policy is not working on either side it's not working right. for Either the workers that America may need that are coming from other countries, it's not working for uh, people who want to stop everyone ever from coming into this country. You know, it's just, just it's just not working. You know, you've got uh, you've got countries where things are, um, you know, as much as we talk about the American recession, you've got countries around the world where things are terrible, awful. Uh, you know, where where I mean, people are you know, people don't even have uh, boot straps. They don't even have boots to pull themselves up with. Uh, and then you've got America, which, relatively speaking, except uh, Michigan, yes, is still a uh, is still kind of a flush country in most ways. Mm-hmm. And you're never going to be able to stop uh, the moving from one to the other. It's just not going to happen. So, all right. On that note, uh, are you on Monday? I will be on Monday and say hello to Steve. I well, will. Have... I can because I can just message him. Forget it. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, all right, enjoy your weekend, Lisa. Thank you. Merry Christmas. All right, there you go. That was that was weird just there. All right. And there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, from New York City, CNN radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum joining us today. Hello, sir. How are you? I, Lisa Desjardins wants us to say hello. Oh, hey. Yeah, uh, I, you know, it's funny because Lisa and I follow each other usually on your show, don't we? Yes, it is usually 11.35 and 11.50, respectively. Yeah, and so it's it's not uncommon for Lisa and I to be messaging each other, like, you know, while we're on the show or or as we're getting ready to get on your show. Uh, tell her I said, um, what was that criticism we made of her? Melrose Place? Tell her I said too many Melrose Place references. Okay, I'm doing it right now. All right. Rick says too many Melrose Place. Yeah, Wasn't that a fake complaint we got? got it. Yeah. Too much or talks, references okay. too much. All right. Done. Excellent. Um, hey, so I know we were going to have you talk about one thing today, but you know what? I'm going to switch that. I'm going to have you talk about something else. Something else that okay. you're... That you're uh, I, it's funny. We were just... I don't remember how we... Oh, here... You know what? This is... Uh, what is it? Serendipitous? Fortuitous? Happenstance? Halcyon? Yep. It's a thing. Um, are you being messaged back? No, I, I'm not. I'm actually letting her know why I typed that. <laughs> ah, okay. Um, anyway, uh, okay, so I swear to God this is true. Um, 
Sorry, she said tell tell you to stop saying her last name. Excellent, thank you. Okay, All right, done and done. Um, okay, so this is this is really weird now that I think about it, and I'm going to confess something here. I didn't really look at the entire CNN prep sheet. I kind of saw one of the things you were talking about, and I circled it and I said that'd be great, and I didn't really read the rest. Okay, that being said, let me give you just the tiniest backstory, Stephen. What Sarah and I were talking about about ten minutes ago. Okay. I was in my basement uh, last night looking at, you know, every night I've been in my basement looking for this box of Christmas decorations that I can't find. And it's my Christmas mugs, and I can't locate them for the life of me. I'm going to start counting how many times a day you tell this story. I'm, I'm going to buy you okay. some Christmas mugs. It's going to make sense in a second. Though. You will understand why I'm mentioning it in a moment. Okay. A damn woman. Um, so I mentioned that while I was doing this, I found this whole stash of all that cold medicine uh, that um, you know that I bought. I don't know. I think when when Laura and I moved from one house to another, you know, we kind of stuck our medicine cabinet stuff in a box, mm-hmm. and we forgot about it. And I don't know how it is in New York, but um, in, in in Oregon now, you cannot buy cold medicine like Nyquil or you know Sudafed, any of that stuff, uh, with pseudoephedrine in it. It's it's illegal. You have to have a prescription. Oh, you don't have to have a prescription here. You just have to show your driver's license. No, I think here you actually, it used to be that you had to show your driver's license and they wrote your name in a book because that's right. what the man does. He puts your name in a book. Uh, you had to put your name in like a ledger or something at the pharmacist. Now I do believe in Oregon you must have a prescription to get anything with pseudoephedrine, which of course means that all you're left with is crap that doesn't work. Um Anyway, That's ridiculous. It would make me just want to cross the border and go to Canada. Or Washington. Not that I would advocate that. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, so but I found this whole box of stuff in my basement. Again, NyQuil, DayQuil, Sudafed, Al- nighttime Alka-Seltzer, all this stuff filled with pseudoephedrine, which is now illegal. And I said, you know what, it's not illegal for me to have it because it is grandfathered, and I bought it back when it was legal, lost it in a drawer, forgot about it. Mm-hmm. And so then Lisa and I got into this discussion about the illegality of drugs and how it is just pointless and hopeless and ridiculous and a losing battle, to put it mildly, to make anything illegal. Now, Sarah, by pure happenstance, after having discussed this drug uh, illegality business and drug prohibition, the other story Steve is talking about, and I did not realize this until like 30 seconds ago, Mm -hmm. on this date 75 years ago, prohibition was ended. I had no idea. So... Yeah. And it's amazing. Can I just tell you this? It is amazing. It is unbelievable to think, especially here in Oregon and in Portland. Let me tell you this about Portland. People here drink. We drink like bastards. People in Portland, uh, probably half the audience is drunk as I'm talking right now. That in this country, for 14 years, you couldn't. 14 years, you couldn't buy booze. Can you believe that? Can you imagine prohibition today? Can you imagine a bunch of people. Going around the country saying that alcohol should be outlawed and actually finding enough support in, in many states to get this passed, to get an amendment to the Constitution passed. Outlawing alcohol. I mean, to put it in sort of like, that would be like, I mean, so that would be what? That would be like saying that alcohol had been illegal since 1994, like since Sarah was 14. Mm. Right. 14 years you couldn't buy booze in this country. I mean, it just staggers the mind that Americans ever went, that, who who are those people? That's a good idea. I'm yeah, sick well, of beer. And because of prohibition, we well, if it wasn't for prohibition, we would not have the organized crime families that we have today mm-hmm. because it, it created a market that enabled them to just blossom. You know, b- before Prohibition, they made most of their money uh, through gambling and uh, through prostitution. 
Uh, when when Prohibition came along, a whole new racket opened it opened up for them, and it dwarfed the amount of money they were making in their other illegal schemes. Uh, you know, they were rum runners. You know, they right, were they were right. they were, they were moving alcohol. So yesterday, I went to uh, there, there's three bars in New York that I know of that operate today that were speakeasies back during Prohibition. So I went yesterday and visited a couple of them, and one of them is called the Back Room today. And it's the place where Meyer Lansky and Bugsy Siegel used yeah. to hang out. It used to be the back room to the one, once famous Ratner's Deli on the Lower East Side. Right, right. Ratner's Deli no longer exists, but the, this bar owner is a pretty smart guy. He went and, and created this whole 1920s motif, and you walk in through this alleyway, and you have no idea there's actually a bar there. There isn't even a sign calling it the back room. You have to know where to go. That is so cool. you got to go there the next time, Sarah. I know. Well, I totally want to. Uh, so McSorley's, is, the, is that one of the oldest bars? I was thinking about that one. That wasn't a speakeasy or anything, was it? Right. McSorley's is one of the oldest bars in the country, continually serving alcohol, continually serving beer, actually. And uh, but, but this place is really cool because you go in there, and I had the woman show, give me a tour because you go through all the all the tenements down there on the Lower East Side. They're all connected. The basements are connected. So there's all these ways of getting out of there in case the police... The man uh, shows up. In case they raided the joint, as, as we say. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah, so so one of the things that they put in is a, a secret door. There's like a bookshelf, a built-in wall. You the full-on Batman bookshelf that moves? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I had no idea it was a fake door. And you can push the bookshelf, and you're in another room, and then you can get out of the place literally by walking through the hallway of this apartment tenement, yes. That is so great. I want to build a house just so I can put a secret room there for a speakeasy. It was really cool. And then I went to Club 21, uh, the 21 Club, I mean, Yeah. which is where the, the socialites, where the, the high society sect got their alcohol during Prohibition, totally different type of place. This was like a private social club. And you had to know somebody or be a member to get in. And there was like, was it like the little thing that opened and like the guy's eyes appeared? Password. And you had to yeah. say like, you know, like uh, Spartacus, you know, and then they let you in. Exactly. That was exactly the way it was. And so when they would get raided, uh, when the FBI would finally be able to talk their way in past the, the big thug at the door, uh, they had a system in place where the bartender could step on a button in the floor and all the shelves would give way. They would, they, their supports would, would, would slide away, and the shelves would collapse, and the bottles of alcohol would slide down a chute, and the chute would take them into the basement of the next door building. So when you walked in, you wouldn't see any alcohol. You wouldn't see the bottles at all. And there would be no trace of the alcohol anywhere in the building because it had all been moved next door. <laughs> that really is quite fantastic. Uh. Can I play you a report that I that I put together a quick little thirty? Yeah, seconds? yeah, go ahead. Sure, here we go. Tell me if you, you hear this. If you don't hear this, yell out now. Uh, I'll make it louder. No, 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 yeah. Down a dark alleyway on New York's gritty Lower East Side stands a door with no indication of what lies beyond it. The back room was actually an authentic speakeasy. Megan Bones says the space behind Ratner's Deli was a favorite spot for some legendary gangsters during Prohibition. Bugsy Siegel, along with Meyer Lansky, would use this to host meetings and parties. Uptown, Brian McGuire says New York's high society crowd would get their spirits at Club 21. But they weren't known, they weren't let in. It's still hard to get a table at Club 21 today, but drinks are easy to come by. Steve Kastenbaum, CNN, New York. That is Sometimes so great. great report. Sometimes and, I get to have fun, like real fun. You and, know? and so real real dumb question is we sort of, and then we, unfortunately we were under the gun here, we got to run, but um, 
so what ended prohibition? Was it uh, was it just public demand, or was it an impact on the economy, or was it the government's recognition that like, well, this isn't going to work? All all of the above. You know, they they realized that they created this incredible illegal economy, and it was the, the reason crime was so bad. There were these shootouts almost daily uh, in, across the country that were the result of this illegal uh, industry going on. In fact, that's how Lucky Luciano got his nickname, Lucky, uh, on the street corner where the back room is today, down on, down on Delancey Street, survived a hit on that corner during Prohibition. Mm. And that's how he got uh, his name. All right, my friend. As always, a pleasure. Have a great weekend. We will talk to you soon, sir. Go drink something for us. I will. Thank you. All right, thank you. Steve Kastenbaum, ladies and gentlemen. Wonderful. Excellent. We come back. Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Later on, Storm Large, Aaron Duran. Your phone call tomorrow. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Friday. No, you know. Seven after the noontime hour. Welcome aboard. You want to shut the door, Rick? What? what? Your pleasure. I thought Richie was shutting it. Fine. You know, if I touch the handle, it's going to We might get a handle now that we got paper. Well, I know. It's just sunshine and daisies at CBS not, now. <laughs> let's not hold our breath. Right, it's 503 733 is the Rick Emerson radio program. Uh, coming up later on, Storm Large, Aaron Duran. Uh, let's see. Uh, top five coming up. Seems like I had some geek news or something. I know there's some news that I didn't get a chance to, uh, to sort because I didn't get to print it because we didn't have any paper. Now we do. Now we do. Things are back to normal. It's morning in America, Tim. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the Ministry of Truth, Tim Riley. It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth... This is Tim Riley. Now they're saying O.J. could get as many as 33 years in the pokey. Yeah. Pokey. A broken O.J. Simpson. <laughs> Had a little out-of-order sign hanging around his neck. Was sentenced today to as many as 33 years in prison. Uh, suck on that, friend. After a judge rejected his apology. His apology. Is that, what, is that, is that how O.J.'s mind works? Mm-hmm. Is that what's inside the brain of O.J. Simpson? Wait, so let's no. hear what he had to say. Hold on, Juice. It'll be okay. I, I stand before you today uh, sorry, somewhat confused. I feel like apologetic to the people. And more than somewhat confused. Yeah, I, I would say that's very confused. So uh, Judge Jackie wasn't buying it. Do we have the thing where O.J. says, um, I didn't mean to steal from anyone? That's the only one I have so far. Okay, but apparently is coming out. one of his quotes, and, and the group will talk about this with us uh, later as well, but apparently one of O.J.'s quotes today was, so, uh, I didn't mean to steal anything. <laughs> How do you accidentally steal something when you're in a room with a gun and some goons going, Nobody leave! So, that's fantastic. I, I love the idea that the, the flow chart inside OJ's head is, Commit crime, be caught, be sentenced, you know, be found guilty, be sentenced, apologize, repeat, you know, back to step one. And then be free, you know, then be free to commit more crimes. Mm-hmm. 
Wonderful. Here's the uh, judge with some harsh words. Earlier in this case, at a bail hearing, I said to Mr. Simpson, I didn't know if he was arrogant or ignorant or both. And during the trial and through this proceeding, I got the answer. And it was both. Wow. Snap. That's a Judge Jackie. Yeah. Simpson was actually taped during the robbery, and that's why he's in court. And it's your own words, Mr. Simpson, that could be heard throughout those events that have brought you here because we heard it all. And what came out on the tapes said to me and obviously to the jury that the evidence in this case was overwhelming. It was overwhelming. I hear Mr. Glanter. He says, oh, Mr. Simpson was just stupid. He didn't really mean to do anything wrong. When you take a gun with you and you take <laughs> men with you in a show of force, that's not just a, hey, give me my stuff back. I love the idea, by the way, that he, uh, that he has to have this explained to him in just the tiniest amount of detail and as though she's speaking to a child. And the defense attorney, what must it be like when your defense attorney, their whole case rests on that you're a moron? That's going to be a good feel. Now, look, you can, you can get out of this, but really, I'm going to have to go on television every single day and tell everybody that you are just as dumb as the day is long, which is clearly true, by the way. Let's uh-huh. have no illusions about that. That's excellent. Fantastic. Uh, so the judge describes the penalty for the kidnapping charge to O.J. The first degree kidnapping with use of a deadly weapon, a fixed term of 15 years, parole eligibility beginning after five years. Count six, first-degree kidnapping with use of a deadly weapon, a fixed term of 15 years with parole eligibility beginning after five years. And that's not all. How about some more additional prison time? Count one, conspiracy to commit a crime, one year in the county jail. Count two, conspiracy to commit kidnapping, a minimum term of 12 months, max term of 48 months. Count two to run concurrent to count one. Count three, conspiracy to commit robbery, a minimum term of 12 months, max term of 48 months in the Nevada Department of Corrections. But wait, that's more. There's Don't more answer coming. yet, Robert, Juice. Use of a deadly weapon, a minimum term of 60 months, a maximum term of 180 months in the Nevada Department of Corrections with a consecutive 12 to 72 in the enhancement because of the increased harm that the gun posed. Oh, yeah, eat a full bag of that, O.J. Not not even concurrent. Not even You don't know from sentencing. Consecutive. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. That makes me feel... You know what it is? It makes you feel like dancing. Yes, it makes me feel like Leo Sayer. Um, By the way. You know, boy, Leo Sayer's a weird-looking guy. When's the last time you took a good, long look at Leo Sayer? Like way the 70s? Back in the day. Yeah, he's a strange-looking man. Um, you know what Leo Sayer looks like? He looks like if you um, if you put uh, Richard Simmons in some sort of stretching device and he elongated him a lot. That's what Leo Sayer looked like. So, you know, I know the time, as Howard Beale once said, I don't have to tell you times are bad. Everybody knows times are bad. But you know what? Just the tiniest little golden ray of sunshine. O.J. Simpson. For as many as 30 years. Now, is that. Now, when you say as many as, is that like a good behavior, like depending on how he acts thing? Right. I guess Rupal will tell us more about that. Because first it was 15, now they're saying it's as many as 30. Mm-hmm. Maybe, she, maybe she came back into court, like, still pissed later on. No, no, and more. And 10 more. Oh, two Jerks. pages were stuck together. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to carry the one. Oh, yeah. That's great. Suck on that. That's that. You know, that's just a little bit of spring in my step today. But, you know, there's someone who is like even more than O.J. Is this uh, does his name rhyme with uh, Ed Oldman? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. After listening to him, you'll feel sorry for O.J. even after all this. Uh. So we have one, two, three, four, five. Are we going to hear all five? Yes, we are. Okay. <laughs> Fred Goldman says his family is happy. 
we're thrilled. It's kind of a bittersweet moment knowing that that SOB is going to be in jail for a very long time where he belongs. Yes, Fred says he's thrilled. It was satisfying seeing him in shackles like he belongs. Still had that arrogant look on his face when he came in and that arrogant look on his face when he walked out. And he's going to stay in jail for a very long time. Doesn't Fred Goldman always seem like he ought to be waxing his mustache a little bit and then tying somebody to a railroad track? Uh-huh. I mean, that's a big top hat. <laughs> my assessment. But it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't bring back his dead son, Ron. So it's never closure. Jesus. Ron is always gone. And always? what we always. have is satisfaction that, um, that this monster is where he belongs, behind bars. You know, in the uh, they'll get uh, William H. Macy to play Fred Goldman in the movie. Just mark my words on that. We only have two more to go. Oh, okay. Ron's sister, Kim, says she's proud her family managed to push O.J. to the brink. Proud. Indeed. I feel very proud of my father and I and our family for sticking with our commitment to Ron to honor his memory and to keep pursuing him. The If I Did It book, I think, pushed him right over the edge. I'm very proud of our efforts for taking that book back and for turning his words around on him. And today was a good day for our family. You know, that what the hell is going on in that place? I don't know. Uh, also, it, just that, you know, here's another thing. Just that, that business of the book... That, that you know, if I did it or yes, I did it or whatever. I mean, the love of God. Uh, this whole story, the whole O.J. Simpson saga. They're very evil, too. I mean, the, the whole, it's just everybody involved in the whole thing is just, is just weird, you know? Everybody, it just, it's, 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 it's insane. It's the best thing California has to offer. <laughs> I, I suppose. I suppose that's. It's a Southern California lifestyle. I suppose that's no, true. A, we have one more? Yes, just one more. All right. Kim, once again, uh, thanks your family for being so evil. We feel very proud of our efforts. We feel very strongly that because of our pursuit of him for all of these years, that it did drive him to the brink of this. Well, okay. That person in the background, he said he was a rapist. That's all that he is. I don't know. Uh, who, who I can't even, even listen to what she's saying because it's so distracting. I don't know. I'm just... Uh... Maybe those are the, the uh, Goldwyn singers. We there, the, I, to... I mean, it, re- it really does... It really does, again, bear, uh, bear repeating that, uh, you know, that I think they should have offered O.J. some sort of a, like, third of his time if he'd had, you know, he'd like to go live with Fred Goldman. So, mm-hmm. yes. The sister talking about Ron Goldman is especially, I mean, who will people buy cocaine from at tennis clubs in Los Angeles now? Oh, there Ron right. did leave a gap. He did. He was one of the better waiters. <laughs> he, was one of, he was one of the better, uh, al- I'm sorry, alleged. He was one of the, abe- the better alleged uh, purveyors of substances. He was a drug dealer? Well, that was an allegation. We should say that it wasn't actually. I don't know that that was proven because. He made because, an honest living bussing tables. Yes. Uh, we should say that that was an allegation made him. during the trial. Uh, that was something during the trial that was brought up, I think, during the trial. or Maybe it was in that Faye Resnick book mm. where they were saying that that was the reason that, what's her name? Uh, Nicole? Mm. No. Which one is the one that got killed? Nicole. Nicole. Who's the sister? Denise? I think so, yes. I think you got, you have that correct. Anyway, you know, see, but the thing, like, who can even keep it in his scorecard? And where's Kato Kalin? That, where is Kato Kalin, Tim? Um, in any know. event. Um, but no, but during the, there was this whole allegation made that Nicole had hooked up with Ron Goldman, who was a waiter slash, I believe, tennis instructor. And then the story was... And I don't know that it was ever really proven, again, because he's dead, so you can't really, you know, it's not like you really need to prosecute him for the name that he's dead. But the story was that, that Nicole had hooked up with him uh, because he was providing, he was uh, getting her some blow, 
in addition to being a tennis coach, which I guess everybody is in Southern California. You're either a tennis coach or you're like a producer, and you're just you're kind of waiting for the right script, though. You know, you don't want to jump on anything. You know, you uh, you really want to do it the the Selznick way. You want to find the right vehicle, uh, you know, for your production skills. So he was tennis coach, waiter, and an alleged purveyor of drugs for Nicole Simpson. Jesus. But you are right when you say that it's just the, the quintessential Southern California experience in so many ways. Mm-hmm. No, it is. But just the saga of O.J. Simpson, man. I mean, here's the thing about O.J. Simpson. I'm, mark my words. Somebody should do this now. Somebody should get working on this now. <coughs> Aaron. Uh, <coughs> Joni. Somebody needs to work on this. Storm. Now. Where they create a sort of... Um, uh, they Where they, they do a... Um, Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street thing, about O.J. Simpson. But it's like a musical, sort of scandalous, dark, you know, uh, gripping movie about O.J. Simpson, who's like, you know, he's the demon halfback or whatever he was. I mean, he's just such a strange, such a strange, long, winding road that guy had. Because he was, I mean, even I'm not even much of a sports fan. And he was, you know, he was just, I mean, he was just a, a, a football icon almost immediately. I mean, even in college, he was just, you know, he was known as like the best thing ever. People really forget about that. The people kind of don't remember the fact that O.J. Simpson was really a stunningly successful athlete. I mean, I don't even know who you compare him to now. I mean, maybe, maybe Jordan. I mean, I don't really know. I'm not, a football fan could probably tell me whether it's true or not. But I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that O.J. Simpson in his day was not unlike a Wayne Gretzky, you know, was not, he was not, uh, was not unlike a, a Michael Jordan, a Lance Armstrong. He was that good and that successful. And then, of course, he was an actor. Let us not forget the towering Inferno. Let us not forget all the naked gun films start, you know, with O.J. Simpson. Uh, and then now he's like going to the Hooskow for trying to steal a bunch of stuff, including the suit that he was wearing when he was acquitted for ki- uh, allegedly killing his wife and Ron Goldman. I mean, it's just like the weirdest, longest saga. To use a really tired cliche, you wouldn't believe it if you if you read it. If you saw that in a movie, did you would reject it outright? Well, okay. Well, screw OJ. OJ, he's going to he's going to jail. There you go. The end. The end. Chrysler has uh, retained some bankruptcy counsel. According to the Wall Street Journal, the automaker has hired a firm for possible bankruptcy. Good. Go away, please. Head enough. A major collision closed down Highway 26 in Portland near the Beave during the commute this morning. It, uh, well, people couldn't get from the west side to the east side. Highway 26 eastbound at Cornell and Murray shut down after a two-car accident. A man driving a Jetta slammed into a Mazda coupe that was parked on the side of the highway for some reason, and the woman was thrown out of the coupe. Uh, luckily, a couple of c- civilians, according to the police, pushed the coupe over on its side to help the woman get out. So this is, but there's no deaths or anything. No, but, but it, it really tied up. But it screwed up traffic. Yes, uh, uh, in my side of the road. We, in your side of the, on your side of the tracks. Yes. Um, doesn't it seem like we ought to have? Okay, here. Why don't they invent this? Here's the thing they ought to invent right Maybe now. Chrysler could do that and pull themselves out of bankruptcy. <laughs> Did you say they retained a bankruptcy lawyer? Yes. I wonder if he's one of those guys on television. One of those. It, uh, don't be trapped into uh, signing a bankruptcy settlement that you may later regret. And he's flying around in a helicopter looking for accidents. <laughs> Some Lionel Hutz guy. Yeah. Mrs. Simpson, confidentially, I'm promising you a big cash settlement. Um, I mean, what must it be like to be the bankruptcy lawyer who who gets the call from Chrysler saying, uh, look, um, my name is John, and I'm going to need some bankruptcy help. Really, what do you do, John? I work in a factory. I make stuff. Really? What do you make? Chrysler's. Cars that nobody wants. 
Um, but here's a question. How do you, if you're a Chrysler, okay, this is a serious question I have now. Chrysler is retaining the services of a bankruptcy lawyer because they're probably going to go bankrupt because the government's going to tell them to get stuffed, right? Yeah. How is Chrysler going to pay the bankruptcy lawyer? That is a good question, isn't it? I mean, a bankruptcy lawyer is not going to work for free, not for Chrysler. No. But on the other hand, you would think if you're if you're a bankruptcy lawyer who's going to represent a company that big, you're not going to do that for – that's not going to be for scale or whatever. I mean, that's going to be – you're going to charge a lot for that. So how is Chrysler going to even pay a bankruptcy lawyer if the reason they need a bankruptcy lawyer is they have no money? Maybe they could trade it for merchandise. Maybe. <laughs> would you like a car that doesn't work? How about uh, – would you like a pile of uh, – would you like a pile of bolts that are never going to be used to put things together? How about, would you like some blueprints for a hybrid that we never actually bothered to follow up on? That's great. That's one. How would, you, would you just like a factory? We can give you this whole building over here. How about a robot arm that welds stuff? We'll give you that. Jesus, God Almighty. Maybe they should just ask the government for that. Maybe they should go, look, we don't need the uh, $12 billion anymore. If you could just give us like, like five grand and a bus token, this guy can probably get us taken care of by the end of the day. All right, here's Tim Riley. Back to the coup now. Oh, no, but back to my invention. I'm sorry, Tim. I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, so oh, you're talking right. about, you talk about retaining it. lawyers. Yes. Okay, so where was this accident this morning? It was on 26 coming from the west side of the east side. Uh, let's see. It would be eastbound at Cordell Road on 26. Okay. Why don't they invent this? A thing that in an accident like this, it is a little um, portable bridge that goes over the accident that cars can then drive over. That would be terrific. You bring it in two sections. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, you already got to roll the fire department out there, ambulance, police, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Why don't you just bring out two trucks? Each of them has half of the bridge, not unlike when you were a kid and you'd assemble like a Hot Wheels uh, set or whatever. And then there's like the loop-de-loop part, and there's the figure-eight part, and there's the, what, there's the ramp part. Each truck brings out a little half of it, like bookends, stick it together, bridge over the accident. That way traffic can at least be moving somewhat uh, you know, while they're trying to get everything taken care of there. I don't know why they don't do that. Does anybody have a reason why not? I didn't think so. A little insensitive. No. A little insensitive. They're like using you're... the jaws of life to pry someone out of the car, but heaven forbid, let's not stop up traffic. I'm just saying you're driving around it anyway. This is driving over stuck it. In an, uh, there was an accident on I-5 southbound yesterday that blocked all of the lanes except for one. Wouldn't you have appreciated a bridge like that? It was like pretty that? frustrating, I have to say. But then I saw the person, you know, they're trying to get the person out, and they were pinned in the car. I'm like, yeah. oh, and then it just makes you feel guilty. For life me. is for the living, sir. Mm. All I'm saying is driving around, driving over. What do you care? What's, what's the difference? Like, if, by that rationale, if they offered you, if the cop is, like, waving you around, all right, come around, you just say, no, 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 I'm going to stay here until it's resolved. We're all going to suffer together. You have places to be. Seriously. All right, here's Tim. I'm not trying to sound like a jerk. I'm just saying. I mean, the engine of capitalism must move on. Here's Tim Riley. Somebody stole 130 guns from a gun shop in the coup. This you, know, happened you know whose fault that is, Tim? I think it's because Obama was elected. Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. People are afraid. Somebody hit the Brightwater Venture Shop on Northeast 60th. By breaking a window, it's that easy. Apparently, they still There are no there. bars in the gun shop? No, people are very trustworthy in the coup. They leave their doors unlocked. Windows open. 130 do not take. 130 guns were stolen. Well, all right. There you go. What's happening in Gresham? Probably something bad. They say a police officer shot at a car that came directly at him and then hit his motorcycle. The patrol officer was chasing a red Toyota Tercel from a neighborhood because it was driving recklessly. When the car stopped at an intersection, the officer approached. The vehicle turned on the officer, hit his cycle, and the officer fired at the car. It sped off, but was found a mile away. The driver took off. 
No charges have been filed yet after they detained somebody. Uh, by the way, I've got a, a Cato Kalen update. So, um, well, I do want to hear. Okay, how should I do this? Should this be a fill in the blank? You remember Cato Kalen, don't you? Of course. Should this be a fill in the blank? Like Mad Libs? Uh, what, or, or should I give you multiple choice? Or do you want to play 20 questions? I want to find out now. I'm not just going to give... Tim, I can't give you a fish. Well, let's not do 20 questions because we're bad at that. Okay. Let's do, let's do multiple choice. Multiple choice. 50 questions. Okay, multiple choice. Wow, okay, well, I don't even know then. Um, then we'll have right, to do... fill in the blank. That might be funnier. Well, I, uh, a scramble word. Okay. Um, a jumble. <laughs> Let me give it to you in Sanskrit, Tim. Uh, okay, this is going to be weird then. I'll do a fill in the blank. Cato Kalin is... A busboy. No, stop. Um, it, 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 this is almost going to be too easy. But Cato Kalin is on a... Okay, no, 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 I'll do it this way. Cato Kalin is on a reality show about a competition to blank. Who's wait? Actually, I'll give you one more. Cato uh, Kalin is on a reality show about a competition to get a blank. Job? Cato Kalin is on a reality show. Yes. About, the reality show is about, in other words, the reality show documents... A competition to get a blank. Tim? A gun. All guns with you. Cato Kalen is on a reality a show about a competition to get a blank. You're saying a wife? Mm -hmm. Sarah? I'm going to say his own reality show. Anybody else? There's no one else in the room, I guess. No. Richie, Cato Kalen is on a reality show about a competition to get a what? Uh, I don't know. Thanks so much. Uh, sandwich. Cato Kalen is on a reality show about a competition to get a reality show. Yay! Well done, Sarah Dillon. That's, I'm sad for you that you were able to guess that. Uh, it was called Gimme My Reality Show. Oh, that's amazing. That is thought-provoking. Also on there, I've ever dreamed. Also on there, Danny Bonaducci's ex-wife Gretchen, A.J. Benza. You mean Hot Soccer Mom? Yeah, no, that's what, but see, that's why she did that song, the Rock and Roll Soccer You've Mom. you got to come back with that. Because... Effort. The, apparently Gretchen Bonaducci was on this, and she she is a whole thing where you're you're competing with these other schlubs to get a reality show. Her bid to get that was to write her own would be theme song, which is that rock and roll soccer mom uh, song. AJ Benza, who is AJ Benza? I don't know. I don't know who that Tracy is. Tracy Bingham. Who's Tracy Bingham? Oh, she was a uh, she's that big breasted uh, act. I like what I'm hearing. Things. I think she might be a porn star or something. All right. And myriad other uh, big celebrities. So there you go. A reality show, but a competition to get a reality show. That's where Cato Kalen was. What uh, network is that on? Well, see, that's the question. And did any, did, did any of those folks, is it over? And if so, did any of them get their own reality show? And if so, like, where did it even air? I've never even heard it mentioned. No. Heard By the water cooler? No. Well, you know, it's like when people will mention that, well, you know, whatever happened to so-and-so celebrity? Oh, they're hosting that show and that thing. And it's like not only a show, but like a network you've never, like you would have no idea where to find it. I don't even remember, and it's probably not important, so don't clarify it. But I was talking about that the former uh, MTV VJ Kennedy. Oh, yeah. And somebody was, no, 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 Kennedy hosts that show on that network. And it, it, I can't even remember what, uh, it was some program about something or other, and I had no idea where I would even look for it. I mean, I guess I could just go to the TV guy and the TV or whatever. When it's like I would have no, because it used to be that a reality show, you could tell where it was going to be airing by what kind of show it was. Mm -hmm. If it was a big money game show, it was on one of the big three. If it was like a musical reality show, it was probably on like VH1 or something. Country, uh, you know, reality shows on CMT. And I guess there is, isn't there like the reality network or the reality channel? 
Or is Possibly. that a, is that a thing they just talked about doing, or is that a thing they? I would imagine. Is that, that channel three hundred something or other? Or am I just thinking it must exist? In other it words, exist. was there no discussion about the reality TV channel? I'm just thinking there must be one. Uh, I don't know. So in any event, well, Cato Kalin does a thing somewhere. Uh, let's do uh, one more here, and then we'll take a break. Get uh, caught up. Oregonians from Bend to Portland reported a bright fireball flash across the northern sky last night. Uh, one person was in Lapine on Hooker Creek Road when. <laughs> When he saw this bright object, he uh, said, quote, wow, look at that, unquote. <laughs> One of the cosmopolitan residents of uh, Hooker Creek Road. <laughs> really, if you close your eyes and listen, it's just like sitting next to Walden Pond. All right, there you go. A bright object in the sky. Hooker Creek. Hey, everybody, put on your Nikes and castrate yourselves. The moment of glory is at hand. Wow, look at that. Mm-hmm. Cody Joe, come check out the big, big uh, light bulb in the sky. All right, let's uh, take a break after this, or uh, and uh, come back after this. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. I'm sorry, I'm still back in the wow, look at that thing. Jesus. It's 503-733-2970. The Rick Emerson Show returns next. Coming up later on, Storm Large, Aaron Duran, and more. Stay there. Tim Riley resumes his newscasting around the corner. Don't go anywhere. Three minutes left in this song. What else is there to hear? Two football and ballet. Tonight I'm parking ballet. Recording, rehearsal, regressing, go reversal. The worst part is the song is really catchy and it sticks in your head. <laughs> I want to listen to the whole thing. I won't, I won't. And it's still better than the Nickelback song. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Gretchen Bonaducci, ladies and gentlemen. No, actually, Rick, this is the mudflat. Oh, I'm sorry. Featuring? No, just the mudflat. Oh, it's not Gretchen it's in the mudflat? It's middle-aged men all wearing sunglasses. <laughs> Pardon me. <clears throat> this email says, Rick, I hate myself for knowing this. Give Me My Reality Show was on Fox Reality. Gretchen Bonaducci won the show, which presumably means that she actually had a show at some point. Um, Tracy Bingham was the big-breasted black girl on Baywatch, formerly Brett Michaels' girlfriend. Uh, A.J. Benza was an ex-Howard Stern regular that used to host Mysteries and Scandals uh, and was on Celebrity Fit Club. Uh, Susan Olsen from the Brady Bunch was another one. Wow, these are all Z-list celebrities. <laughs> Susan Olsen. You think it's some... When, look, don't get me wrong. I'm a good Gen Xer and all, and I purchased growing up Brady like everybody else between the ages of 20 and 35 at that time. When do you suppose the clock runs out on the Brady kids and their ability to get projects based on the fact that they were on a sitcom 30 years ago? I mean, at some point... Somebody's just got to go. No, no, we're done. We're moving. We're moving on to the cast of Full House, at least. We're moving on to Family Matters or something. <laughs> but you almost—pardon me. 
You almost get the sense, though, that you wouldn't be able to do it with later sitcoms. Because, again, there is no, I've talked about this a lot, that there is no unanimity and there's no, you know, of television experience anymore. All the kids who grew up when I did, we all watched the Brady Bunch. Because, again, there was, you know, there were only three channels and there was only like nine shows on television the whole year. There was the same for... People of my generation. Right, that's what I'm saying. It was because there are so many of them, you're going to at least remember two. So that is, so I think that, but you could get away with milking, again, the fact that you were on the Brady Bunch. You could get away with milking the fact that you were on Welcome Back, Cotter, or MASH. Before that, it was Leave it to Beaver. Or Leave it to Beaver, or The Munsters, or The Addams Family. Because every, because you know that at a certain point, 60% of the country watched your show. That's why the Brady kids can continue to get gigs everywhere just because they were on the Brady Bunch. I don't know that it's going to be the same for people who were on sitcoms in the 90s. Because at most, 9% of the country even knows who you are. So... I mean, it's gonna be you're gonna be like that Ty Pennington bastard, you know, where like you know, there's a small section of people who are really into you, and the rest of you kind of go, who? Boy, does he look weathered? I was taking a good speaking of, of the people on reality shows. I was taking a good long look at Ty Pennington the other day. That guy looks like uh, I don't know. He, his face looks like he's been strip mined. I mean, he's. Uh, I have a feeling they put a lot of makeup on him, and it doesn't necessarily do the trick. So he's, uh, it's not even really... It's like he smokes a lot. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not even really rugged. It's, it's like from the inside out. <laughs> he's aging from within. Todd mm. <laughs> Pennington, you're rotten on the inside. Uh, it's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. This sounds helpful. Oregon struggling auto dealers plan to ask the legislature to impose blue laws that will prohibit Sunday car sales. At least 19 dealerships have closed this year. This will help other dealers because if the car, car lots are closed on Sunday, it'll force people to come back on another day to shop. So if salesmen are standing around for one day, they'll get more business the next day. I don't understand at all. So they're going to close. They want to close these uh, car lots down on Sunday. Okay, who is asking for this? Uh, Oregon auto dealers. Uh, let's take this step by step on KCMD Portland. Oregon auto dealers mm. are asking Oregon to impose blue laws that would prohibit Sunday car sales. Okay. Why? Well, because you're desperate. Nobody's buying cars. So they figure if they will not allow you on their car lot on Sunday, you might come back on another day and buy a car. But what's the difference? It's the same amount of money changing hands. That's like that that's like that skip a gas skip a day and don't buy gas on Monday. They said thing. it would help other dealers cut costs. How? That doesn't make any sense at all. I'm not even saying it's a bad idea. I just don't understand it. Well, it's desperate. Okay, well, desperation I can almost understand, but I don't even... I really am honestly asking this. What is the... What is the the alleged upside to that? Because, again... It would help them cut costs. But I'm... I guess, but if you're an auto dealer and you're losing money, aren't you already going to voluntarily close on Sunday? In other words... I would think so. Wouldn't auto dealers just be doing that now? Mm Mm-hmm. Because, hey, well, I'm not making any money on Tuesdays. That's like you go to a restaurant. Sometimes, you know, the restaurants are the thing where it's like they're open Tuesday through Saturday, and clearly it's because Monday's a dead night for them. So they're just closed on Mondays. So apparently, well, to them, the weaker ones want the stronger ones to close down to give them an even chance to sell cars that nobody wants anyway. Now, would this be all auto dealers? Yes, all. Yeah, but if all auto dealers are closed on, on let, let's say, Sunday, mm-hmm. if every auto dealer is closed on Sunday, then effectively... None of them are closed on Sunday. In other words, the playing field is still the same. They're all open the same days, and you're still going to have the same. That makes no it's sense. It's supposed to make you want them more. 
Oh, like I like if I want to plan hard to get. Oh, that's the thing. Like, oh, honey, it's Sunday. You know what that means? It's car buying day. Uh-huh. I can't get a car. My God, I've got to get up at six a.m. tomorrow and go tomorrow buy. Tomorrow off and go to a car. I love car. businesses that are inconvenient. Yeah, there's nothing. You know, there's nothing that'll get me to patronize a business faster than if they make it hard for me to buy well, something. Sunday used to be the Lord's Day, you know. That's right. You know, Mother, I don't believe I want to live in a country where you have to work on Sunday to make a living. That thing you that do? That thing you do. All right, fine. But I thought everybody knew it. I was no, it's all right. Uh, let's get a couple of these. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Is this me? Yes, it is. Hello, sir. Oh, hey. Uh, I guess somebody already answered the question for you, the Fox reality show. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, also, uh, I've been listening. You never played the dingo and the baby. Yeah, we did. We played it yesterday. We no. Oh, you did? Well, oh. it was whatever the day. It was either yesterday or before. Whenever the guy mentioned it, uh, we oh. played it. We played Dingo and the Baby followed by Weird Al's White and Nerdy. We played it in the recap uh. yesterday and we played it on the show. We played it two days in a row, actually. Oh. Uh, well, Don't sorry. you feel foolish. Now, here's the thing. You then you, you By asking this, you have inadvertently revealed that you are not a full-time listener, sir. Well, I am. I just, once I work, you know, I'm not able to listen to the radio. So. What kind of work do you do? Uh, I'm a plumber. I work for a plumbing company. You work for a plumbing company. Is your yes, name Joe? No, see, his name is Chris. You are like you're probably a real plumber though. Um, uh, kind of. Hey, you know what you guys should do? Um, I know that times are tough. Uh, you know, and uh, stretching a dollar and whatever. Here's what you could do for like a. What? <laughs> that would be my boss yelling at me. What did he just say something profane? I couldn't phone. tell. Oh. No, he didn't. Hey. He yelled at me asking me what I was doing on the phone. Ooh, hey, oh, hey, what's his Have name? What's his name? Uh, What's uh, his name's Steve. Steve? Is Steve a cool guy? Yes, he is. Okay, could I talk to Steve for a second? Uh, yeah, hold oh, on one second. Thank you. Here's Steve. No, I got a Rick cool idea. I got a good idea for a Christmas uh, gift. Mm-hmm. Hello, how are you doing? Hi, Steve. How are you? Good. Hey, I can tell you that Chris is a good man. I can tell you should keep him. He is a good guy, yeah. All right. Hey, so just between you and I, I don't know if the radio's on, is I know that times are hard and people are trying to turn a, uh, you know, make a dollar out of 15 cents and so forth. Here's a great idea for sort of a, a kind of amusing gift you might give your employees for Christmas. You should give all of them shirts that say, my name is not Joe. Yeah, that's uh, very amusing. See, it's amusing. It's timely. Probably nobody else is doing it. I would say it's relatively inexpensive. And then, um, you know, and then they here's the thing. They could actually double as like a work shirt because you could have your company logo or crest or whatever sort of on the front, like on the boob or whatever. Uh, we're we're uh, a franchisee, so our uniforms are dictated by the uh, parent company. Well, see, but then maybe they'll kiss them. Maybe it's not a shirt. Maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe it's like a little special card or maybe it's just a shirt that they wear. Uh, you know, like on their off time. I'm just saying, I think that it put a smile on people's faces, and it's easy on your pocketbook, sir. Yeah, actually, that may not be a bad idea. All right, Steve, uh, thank you. Happy holidays to you and Chris. We don't talk Same again. Thank you. Thank you, sir. All right, there you go. Hmm. Here's Tim Riley. What was I going to tell you about? Oh, I have something disturbing, uh, funny, amusing, angering. I'm going to save it. All right. This is not so amusing, though. Oh. A record one in ten American homeowners with a mortgage are at least a month behind on their payments or in foreclosure. Now, these statistics were from September when things weren't as bad as they are now. So this is, wait, so it's actually even worse now. More than likely, that's yeah, this is September. Well, that's wonderful. The Mortgage Bankers Association said the percentage of loans at least a month overdue or in foreclosure was up 9.2% in the April to June quarter and up 7.3% a year earlier. Employers slash 533,000 jobs in November, the most in 34 years. Can we years. please stop using the verb slash? That makes the whole thing sound even worse than it already does. Do you know what I mean? All right, I won't need more of that. No, no, no. I'm not. No, I'm not talking. I'm not talking to you. I'm saying. I'm saying that, like out there, in the, you know, like out there in the other media, uh-huh. 
that's like the only verb they can come up with. It's never reduced, you know. What's KGW? Diminished. They always say employers slashed jobs by. I mean, that's what they always say, and I, it's kind of a. Uh, it's kind of a freaky term, actually. It sort Cut of out? Freaks me. It, it, just, I'm just, it unnerves me a bit. So Get away with it. D- deleted. That's what they should do. Intel today, Control-Alt-Deleted. 5,000 jobs from your workforce. You know, we could, do, we could do a whole terrible high concept. We could do a grimly amusing high concept about what different industries uh, would do when they're reducing jobs. For example, yes, Intel, Control-Alt-Deletes, 5,000 jobs. I Give like me another one. Better. No, no, there's got to be another oh, one. that's good. You'd say like, um, wait, hold on, there's got to be another one. But you get what I'm saying? It'd be like, um, um, ooh, wait, you could do like, um, Roto-Rooter flushed 5,000 jobs today. See? Maybe it's not as funny as I thought it no, was. No, I don't think a company like Roto-Rooter could do away with people. No, probably not. But you, you see what I'm saying? People always got to poop. Clog things up, yeah. yeah the people are always going to clog toilets. That's a, Their business is up because more people are at home. I guess. Hey, but here's a question. So this guy says, here, this is a follow-up on that business of the car dealers asking the government to make car dealers stop selling on Sundays. Said shutting down car dealers will cut some expenses, electricity, salaried staff, etc. They figure if someone wants to buy one of their cars, they'll come in on a day when the dealer is hey. open. Okay, but isn't it's this dumb, isn't it? But it, it's not just dumb, which it is. Let's have no illusions about that. It is a wholly stupid idea. But isn't this completely emblematic of what the car industry is doing right now? Because the car industry keeps asking for socialism. They keep asking for the government to come in and give them money to save their business and and to take a stake in the company, which again is the, almost the very textbook definition of socialism. So you know, rather than letting the free market economy work, they didn't want the government to come in and fix the company. So. But this is the same thing, right? This is the car dealers asking the government mm-hmm. to regulate when I can buy cars by regulating when other car dealers can sell them to me. So the answer is not for the car industry to have yet more government intervention uh, with how they can make and sell their products. The dealers in Washington stupid. State will just stay open on Sundays. I mean, that's the thing. You'll, you'll, We're you'll, open on Sunday. It'll, you know, honest uh, Bill's car lot in the coup. It'll be exactly the opposite of what happens when uh, Vancouver folks come here to save eight percent on everything they buy in the store. Everybody's going to drive to Vancouver to buy a car there because they're not because they're not going to be cutting by a seventh the number of opportunities during the week you have to buy a car. People are deeply dumb. I mean, all people everywhere. And less so us. But I mean, I'm just saying. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick. I just wanted to let everybody know. Um, I uh, found some Viso Dynamo at the Shell Station in uh, North Vancouver at the corner of 119th Street and 117th Avenue. I uh, bought out the entire sleeve. Of, <laughs> Listen to uh, that. I like, you're such you a know, dick. Listen to how you call in to say that it's there, but you put it in the, well, pre- the present tense, and then you let us know that that's actually inaccurate because you purchased all of it. You are well, a bastard. I everything that was in the road. Conceivable, <laughs> there's more in the back. Don't get me wrong. I think it's great. But I like you dangle out the hope for our Vancouver listeners. No, there's some visa. Oh, except that I bought it all. Uh, and I have to say, if you could have sex with a flavor, I'd be living in sin. I'm going to write that down and pass it along to Alex. Where was that location again, uh, sir? Uh, Shell Station, North Vancouver, corner of 117th Avenue and 119th Street. All right, excellent. All right, thank you for listening, my friend. Thank you for patronizing the advertisers and sponsors of the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Yep. All right. Thank Thank you you. for buying it all. Thank you. Thank you for buying all of it, sir.
Attention advertisers, a guy just called in at 12.52 to tell us where he could find, uh, you know, a, a product that we advertise. So, really, if you're not advertising on this show, I'd say you're screwed. I mean, really, I'd like to put it in softer terms, but that's really just what it is. Our listeners buy everything. No, it's true. There is nothing left but scraps. <laughs> this show is your only hope. Really, I mean, that's it. I mean, if you want to navigate your way through this failing economy, uh, this show is this show is really your only point of rescue. I'd say if you're not uh, allied with this show, I'd say you're probably going to be homeless within six months. So really, the choice is up to you. Anyway, here's Tim Riley. You'll be out of business shortly. That's what I'm saying. Boy George is facing jail time after being convicted of handcuffing a male escort to his bed and beating him with a metal chain <laughs> as he tried to run away after a naked photo. I'm shoot. sure I don't mean to laugh. Let me repeat that whole thing. It's sentence. just so funny. Boy George is facing jail time after convicted today of handcuffing a male ex, uh, escort to his bed, beating him with a metal chain as he tried to run away after a naked photo shoot. I mean, there's just there's so many hundreds of things about that story that are that are just the very embodiment of powerful imagery. All right. Well, he's going to have a hard time hiring escorts from now on after that. I guess. I guess that is true. All right. So uh, I don't know how much time he's going to get. How about this? Rick, GM, Ford, and Chrysler repoed 5,000 jobs today. There you go. Right. I, it seems like I ought to be able to come up with more, but I just, my brain isn't really in. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hey, Rick Emerson on KCMD Portland. Thank you. Hey, I wanted to uh, mention a couple of things. about. Um, first off, the portable accident overpass. Yes. First off, it would have to be at least as wide as the road. Right. Transport it. Right. Then it would have to be tall enough to go over whatever incident was there, and then it probably would be too tall so that it wouldn't fit under any overpasses. So where are you going to like store these things so you can transport them around? Well, well, nobody. But what if it? Uh, but what if it could just be erected somehow, like a bridge? You know. Well. That would be a good idea if they did one of those. Uh, no, and in fact, I'll do you. No, no, no. And I'll do you one. No, no, no. And I'll do you one better. I will actually. I'll do you one better because I was talking about how there was this accident on 26 eastbound this morning. It just blocked traffic forever. I will actually do you one better. Rather than having my original idea, where two trucks show up with separate halves of this portable bridge that then meet like uh, like bookends, you have one long ass truck. Now, admittedly, the truck would have to somehow fight its way through traffic to get there. I'll grant you that. So that might be a little tricky. But you have everybody maybe pull over or something. I don't know how you do that. I really don't. But, oh, but, you know, but now that I think about it, if you're heading eastbound on 26, let's say, mm -hmm. the accident happens, it's only the traffic still, in other words, it's only the cars trying to get around the accident where there's congestion. All the other cars, by definition, have left. And and it's smooth. Those lanes are absolutely free and open. So the so, so the truck the down. The, yeah the, the truck would go up the down. It would go up the off ramp, up the the now vacant highway, and wait for it. The truck itself, transformer style, just has a ramp on the back and a ramp on the front, just like sort of a dump truck has a little thing that goes down, but it's one in the front. The truck it's the truck itself becomes the bridge. Didn't they have something like that? Uh, doesn't the army have one of those? Uh, that's what I'm. That's yeah. what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. think about the money you would save uh, because the man hours that wouldn't be lost to a traffic jam. And then on the side, Portland, the city that works. That's what. And then uh, also, uh, this idea was, uh, you know, created by the Rick Emerson show. That would be good. Hey, um, I want to mention another tiny, tiny thing about uh, about the parking in Portland. Yeah. You were talking about people coming and doing a predatory towing. Yes. Hmm, they. Um, not really so much about the towing, but uh, I was 
I went over to my girlfriend's house several years ago at 56th and Gladstone, Friday, 5.30 in the afternoon. Parked, like, up the short driveway and blocked the, uh, you know, the sidewalk there. Right. Long enough to run up to, you know, 5.30 on a Friday. Run up to their door, tap, 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 you're ready to go. Oh, yeah, come in a second, I got it, whatever. Go back outside, parking ticket. Oh, yeah, of course. No, it's a, they, it, it is like they just hover around the city in invisible Wonder Woman planes, ready to, jo- to drop out and get, hit you with like 36 bucks or whatever it is now. I just couldn't figure out what they were doing out at, you know, 5.30, whatever, on a Friday. I don't know. And, you know, and I will tell you this. Uh, my wife, of course, is way more responsible than I am. And my wife has, as she calls it, um, my wife, let's put it this way. My wife has stellar credit. Always has. She's taken very, she was like Susie Orman before there was Susie Orman. She takes great, great care of her credit. And uh, my wife occasionally, though, will get a traffic ticket or she'll get some, you know, she'll get something like that. And as Abby Hoffman once said, you know, it's wrong to steal from your brother, but it's wrong not to steal from the man. And so my wife sometimes will get a traffic ticket uh, from somebody and she'll just be like, whatever. And she'll crumple it up and she'll just throw it in the back seat. And she'll say, you know, I'm not going to pay that anytime soon. And I'll say, baby, it's like. It's like twenty bucks. You could pay it now. They're gonna. And she's like, you know what? My, she's like, I've got bulletproof credit. F them and their 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 parking ticket. Nice. So I mean, and then she pays it eventually. But I don't have that luxury. I can't do that because uh, because my credit is blackened. My credit is blackened and destroyed. So I don't have that freedom. But you're right. They hover around just waiting, just like so many uh, ticket riding roaches. You know, the minute yeah. you switch off the light, there they are. Yeah, fifty sixth yeah. and Gladstone, Rick. That's unreasonable. Uh-huh. There is a. Um, there is a no parking sign on uh, Foster between 82nd and 70th mm-hmm. that it's like from whatever hour to whatever hour. Um, and then there's a guy who parks right there at about 71st and Foster. Um, it's like in the lane in front of a business. Well, so the, do you ever do this? Do you ever drive up? And I know you have. This is an east side problem only. You drive up Burnside, I think, after 5 o'clock. And suddenly that when you get to Burnside and like... 30th, like up by Millennium, uh, by Music Millennium, suddenly that whole right lane just vanishes because it's become a place where people are... I'm amazed that there aren't accidents every single day uh, on Burnside in Southeast or whatever it is. I guess it's not South, it's just, you know, Burnside. Like 30th and Burnside because suddenly some guy has just, he's come home from, he's come home from a hard day at the office and he's parking his car right on the right lane of Burnside and 31st. Just yeah. because you can park there doesn't mean you should. Bad idea. That's true, sir. Thank you. All right, there you go. There's that guy. And by the way, 72nd at Foster is nowhere you want to be parking anyway. Seriously, come back and just be a pile of uh, lug nuts sitting there. Here's Tim Riley. This just in. A 105-year-old singer says Hitler was a good guy. A 105-year-old singer who's passed as a singer in Nazi Germany has dyed his reputation for decades is back in the spotlight after telling a Dutch television show that Adolf Hitler was a good guy. Is this now, implausibly, the second day in a row that we've had stories from people saying Hitler was good? Yes. This is a Dutch-born singer named Johan Heisters, who now has a Austrian citizenship and is still popular and performs in Germany. He was asked on the television program, De Viet de Drup, which means the world keeps turning. Uh, his wife, uh, Simone, immediately corrected him, saying Hitler was the worst criminal in the world. I know that, doll, he responded, but he was nice to me. <laughs> sure, I wanted to build my career, but through no fault of my own, Adolf Hitler was one of my fans. <laughs> what have I done? Boy, wouldn't that be a little unnerving to have Adolf Hitler be your biggest fan? Wouldn't, I mean, 
that's a thing where you don't ever want to blow a performance. Well, not just that, but like, man, you're work. If Adolf, I got to tell you this, if you're Adolf Hitler's favorite performer, you're rehearsing every night. There are no nights off. There are no understudies. You perform when sick. You perform, uh, you know, when you have a broken leg. You perform uh, no matter what has happened to you that day. Well, he has filed a lawsuit to clear himself of allegations that he's saying for SS guards at concentration camps. It never happened, he barked. Let me, so he wants to clarify this. He didn't sing for the SS guard. He only sang for Hitler. Yes. Because that's better. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, I would say that would be a nerve-wracking job to be the guy paid to amuse Adolf Hitler. Because I would say that's a guy who probably needed some serious diversions at the end of the day. It looks like he wears a blonde wig. Here's a brand new picture. Well, he probably... And he has a young one. Wouldn't you do everything else? Wouldn't you do everything in your power to make yourself appear blonde if you had to sing for Hitler? I guess so. What color is your hair? Uh, blonde, mein Fuhrer. Look over there. All right. Oh, this is a freaky looking guy. Yeah, he's 105 years old. Listen to this. This is this guy. I'm not making this up. This is this guy talking about, talking about Adolf Hitler. Quote, a good guy. That's what he was. End quote. Wow. He was nice to me. Right. He's a good man. You don't see him like I do. So are they are they searching for people on Craigslist of people who like Hitler? Thing. I mean, is Brian Singer, uh, uh, Brian Singer, and Tom Cruise on the internet going? Do you have a charming anecdote about Adolf Hitler? If so, we'd Share like to... those precious memories. It'd be like at the end of Springer when they say like, "No pay." Are you are you secretly impregnated by the mailman, Jerry Springer? Did you ever see at the end of Springer where they're looking for like absurdly specific storylines? Where Jerry Springer, like at the end, right before they do Springer's final thought, it says they go into the final commercial break. They'll say, the Jerry Springer show has an upcoming program about people who are having incestuous relationships with their mothers. If this is you, please get in touch with us at... And you're like, well, who who are... They? But then I guess if there's five million people watching, you figure the law of averages says maybe well, one... be ringing out of hook, yeah, off the hook from the south. One percent. So they must just be... I mean, the studio must have just said, do you have an amusing anecdote about Adolf Hitler? Can you position Adolf Hitler in a good light? If so, Tom Cruise has a job for you. And that job is going in front of a camera somewhere and saying that Hitler was, a, Hitler was your best pal and you don't see what all the, all the fuss is about. All right, you're listening to KCNB Portland again. By the way, uh, good friend Kristen Bowie says, hey, the gas station on 28th and Holgan, uh, Holgate had the new Viso flavors. Too bad I bought them all. All right. Thanks, Kristen. Here's Tim Riley. This is going to disappoint everyone, but there will be no max light rail service to the airport for the entire weekend. Construction (laughs) of the I-205 max mall light rail will interrupt service between Gateway and Northeast 99th. The transit center and the airport from the start of the service day Saturday will be affected, and it's going to be closed through Sunday. So you have a better choice choice of uh, making it to the airport alive by finding your own way to get there. The thing is, the Max cannot take you there. I mean, it is the, um, that's really the good news, bad news, because, I mean, you don't have to look for parking. On the other hand, now you, the criminal is going to go elsewhere. You, you won't have to search for a place to stash your car. You may have to try to find a blood transfusion at some point. All right, well, there you go. The final results show 85.7% of Oregon's registered voters cast ballots in last month's election. Wow, that was a month ago that's, already. And that, but it's amazing that it's 85. I know they were talking about how it was a record turnout and all, but 85%, that's it, it's impressive. Not the, record. The, the record was 86.5% that participated in the 1960 and 2004 elections. Although the prediction uh, fell short, uh, State uh, Secretary Bill Bradbury is thrilled with the turnout, which was way above the national average, and a real tribute to the commitment of Oregonians. So, of course, Oregonians left the vote anyway. A whole bunch of robberies, and this comes from Beaverton. Police are investigating three robberies. Two of them in Beaverton, one in Tualatin. That happened last night. They're not sure if they're connected. One was at the uh, 
the Guatemex on uh, Guatemex. That's what it's called, the Guatemex. Guatemex may cause severe chafing. Use with caution. On uh, Watson Boulevard in the B, a worker at the locally owned Latino store told police the store was robbed at gunpoint. And a rapper ran away. Doesn't Guatemex sound like a preemptive thing you would take before going to drink the water in a foreign country? Mm-hmm. Available in suppository. <laughs> Seriously. Before ingesting liquids in a strange land, try Guatemex. May cause you to cough up your liver. Uh, so then uh, there was another one. Uh <coughs> police recalled your robbery at La Bacage, a Latino store there. A uh, robber walked into the sh- store, showed a gun, and uh, said he wanted some money. He got some. Then a beaver demand is robbed. By two men, uh, two men uh, round a beaver to man as he unloaded groceries in the parking lot of his apartment complex. Two robbers ran away on foot. So that's that. Crown the suburbs. A controversial anti-religious sign on display at Washington Capitol Rotunda was stolen this morning. The atheist display, which went on display Monday along with the Christian nativity scene in a Hollywood tree, sparked outrage and received nationwide attention because Bill O'Reilly bought it up. A uh, spokeswoman for the Capitol said they're getting calls from across the country at a rate of 200 an hour. Among the other messages was one that said, there is no God. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <That's> not... <laughs> so all these people are taking time out of their day to respond to a sign that says, there is no God. Can I speak for everybody? Maybe I can't speak for everybody. Maybe. For... I want you to speak for everybody. Well, no, see, here's the thing, though. I was going to say, can I speak for everybody? Speak for me. But I real. Well, I don't know, though, Tim. Maybe not. I was going to say before I open my big trap, I might not even speak for everybody on the show. I was going to say, let me speak for me when I say that militant atheists irritate me. I mean, just shut it, friend. Believe or don't believe. Get off my back. A militant, I mean, because I would say that they're just as irritating, if not more so, than militant Christians. Because, look, and I don't mean to... I don't mean to... Is it like a sweeping indictment of, of like, everybody who, who believes or is a Christian or whatever? But, I mean... Look, let me just, let's just put it out there. If you're like a really, really unbelievably hardcore militant uh, believer in religion, and in this case I'm specifically thinking of Christianity because that's the faith in which I was raised, uh, being a Catholic. If you're really like a nutcase Christian where you, you know, it's like the the God was, you know, everything was created in seven days and tongues of flame and, you know, and we're all the product of incest between Adam and Eve and everybody was on Noah's Ark. I don't expect you to be all that bright anyway. So, I mean, really, the, Id- the idea that you're also going to be obnoxious is not like a tremendous surprise. But if, you, I mean, if you, but if you know, like, militant atheists, they're all either, I guess, in the book-learning sense, pretty smart, or they all really secretly believe themselves to be smart. That's the other thing about, um, about militant atheists. They're always convinced that they're, like, the smartest people on Earth, and that if everybody else was as smart as them, we wouldn't have any problems. But, it, but you know, they're, but, like, they're just... The militant atheists are like, they're like militant libertarians, you know, where I guess you can go, okay, yes, I, I see your point logically. Just please go away and don't talk to me anymore. Are there libertarians? What? Where can I find the libertarian? Uh, you can find them in a bar uh, drinking to commiserate uh, their loss in a recent election, Tim, always and forevermore. You, I mean, that's it. You can find them writing concession speeches. Uh, oh, and also writing like sort of angry circulars that no one will ever read. Can I tell you this? I was at a, where was I the other day? Was it some, some place, some store, some, some community locale? Oh, it was at that coffee shop that I was talking about where Lara wanted me to park illegally. And I said no, and then it was good because the man was towing everybody. Mm-hmm. And there was like a, some, some guy there who I suspect was the one behind, but he was like adjusting a pile of like leaflets or you know, whatever, like they, they look like those church programs I used to get when they would take me to Mass on Sunday. But it was like some angry Portland, like, libertarian newsletter. The best part of it was, like, it was a paper, it was on lavender paper. It was black on, because la- that's always the way to make your point with, with aggression. 
it was a black on lavender. And it was this libertarian screed about something or other, and blah, 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 and the collectivist nation, and yeah, yeah, objectivism, and whatever. <laughs> and it's the most hilarious thing at the top. It said, online edition coming soon. Like, what is the holdup, do you suppose? What is the, what are, what are the, what are the hurdles? I mean, you, first of all, wouldn't you say at this point, it's easier and faster to put something online than to go, I wouldn't even know where to get anything printed anymore. I wouldn't know how to get something formatted and printed and delivered at this point. I mean, I guess you just go to like Kinko's and say do it, but then you still got to get on. But then you got to get a computer to write it anyway. What is the online edition coming soon? How dumb do you have to be? Apparently, you have to be libertarian dumb, which is like industrial strength dumb. I mean, you had to sit down at a computer to write the whole thing out to take it to like the Kinko's to get it printed. While you're there, why don't you hit that little clickety-click, like, connect thing and just stick it on a tripod page or something, friend? Online version coming soon. Just weird. People mystify me. They really do. Anyway, so what did the Christmas decorations say? There is no God. There is no God. <laughs> I mean, you have to give it to atheists for this. Atheists, like Christians themselves, are inadvertently hilarious, I think. That's the one thing I'll say about angry atheists. Because there, there is, I mean... There is that there is that small little smile they put on your face that just like Pentecostals, uh, they are hilarious in ways they probably don't intend. All right. Yes, spending Christmas in jail. Here's Tim Riley. General Motors says it'll lay off 2,000 workers of Michigan, Ohio, and Canada during the first quarter of 2009. They'll eliminate one shift each at plants in uh, Michigan, Ohio, and Ontario. The announcement comes as the head of GM Ford and Chrysler uh, begged in Washington, but I guess they're done. And they probably walked away with nothing, I would imagine. They should have made them uh, do, like, real begging, like like Dickens style. They should have had to get a tin cup and a peg leg and rattle around and go, please, more, and then and do a little dance. They should have had to, see, man, elect me to the Senate, man. I'm going to make that, I'm going to make it interesting if nothing else. I mean, things may not get fixed. In fact, they almost certainly won't. Things will continue to get worse, as they always do. But I will tell you this. You've got my vote. Though. No, you, you put me in the Senate, it's going to be entertaining at the very least. Uh, you're going to be able to turn on the television. You're going to watch those hearings with a smile. Because I would have made those guys come up with a song and dance routine. I don't mean figuratively. Like when you hear about, oh, he gave me that same old song and dance about whatever. I mean literally a song and a dance routine. The GM Chrysler Ford guys, they would have shown up and said, look, um, it is noon. By 8 a.m. tomorrow, you are to have uh, a nine-minute musical composition with accompanying choreography about your desire for this, for this money. Like, it must be done in song, like Von Trapp family style. Then and only then will we consider it. Get cracking right now. People watch those hearings. If I was in charge of government, people would watch the procedure at least. They'd care about the goings-on of their elected officials. Here's Tim Riley. Uh, President Bush today, for the first time, acknowledged the U.S. is in a recession. And he's worried that the big three automakers may not all survive. Our economy is in a recession, he said flatly, as he took his Christmas decorations out of the box. <laughs> there is no God. Uh, this email says, about auto dealers closing on Sundays. Here's somebody else who recognizes the stupidity of this idea. I worked in the motor vehicle industry for 21 years. Dealers have a fixed overhead referred to as bricks and mortar. This is the building, the land, and directly associated costs such as taxes. The goal of every dealer is to maximize the percentage of use of the facility. In other words, you don't want to have a fully functional building standing unused for a day because then you're paying for something you're not using. Yes. Closing on Sundays saves a minimum of labor costs, and salesmen receive most paid through commissions. Most dealers keep the lights on even when closed. The only thing closing on Sundays would accomplish is to force people to take time off work to purchase vehicles they already can't afford. Jesus God, please shoot me. 
So there you go. Uh, I don't think Jesus will oblige you because there is no God. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, I had a couple questions. Yes. I might have missed it. Did Sarah ever mention what, like, how the thing with her tattoo that her parents went? Uh, she did, but we'll do a brief recap just for you. Go. Oh, no, it went fine. My mom was mad for about five minutes, but then she got over it. Right on, right on. So and then I was also curious, does Direct sponsor your show? Because I was patroning them yesterday during the show. Who, what? Huh? Direct, do they sponsor your show? Because I hear the commercials. That would be a yes. If you hear, yes. Okay, just making sure. Are you talking about... I, what, no, I... Direct's like... What is Direct? Kind of Direct not make thing, any more right? Sure. Yeah, right? What? Yeah. Yeah, yesterday it was playing on my computer, and I was patroning your um, fine show while I was listening to it. Yes. No, no, no. Well, if you hear, I mean, by definition, if you hear a commercial during the program, that is, uh, yes, they are a paid no, sponsor. Because I like those better than any any other ones out there. All right, excellent. Thank you, sir. Just like Viso. All right. God bless you. Have a good day. All right, there you go. Yes. All right. I, I, for, I thought it was a trick question for a second when he said, I heard this commercial during your show where they a sponsor, and I couldn't. I couldn't quite figure out if there was, like, another layer to that question I wasn't I seeing. guess that would be yes. Yes, that is a yes, sir. All right, here's Tim Riley. Uh, three middle school students in Gresham were poked with a needle by another student at school. The principal of Centennial Middle School said the student brought several medical lancets, small needles used for quick blood tests to school. One of the students reported being poked with a lancet, and school administrators started to investigate. Whatever happened to pigtails and inkwells, Tim? I know. They said two other students later came forward and said they, too, were poked with needles. They were just horsing around. <laughs> Playing grab-ass. Horsing around. The student was just trying to get a reaction from his friends. Hey, let me jab that guy with a razor-sharp piece of metal. Let's see if there's any reaction. There's no evidence that the skin was broken. All right. Uh, the student was taken from school and disciplined. Then we have this one. An Illinois student faces battery charges after allegedly poking students in the buttocks with a needle in the school hallway. Wait, this is a separate needle poking story. Yes, it is. All right. This, this, this is buttocks poking. He's not being named because he's a juvenile. The newspaper said uh, two of the other students may also face charges. It's not clear how many students were injured in the accident. Police were called to the school when the student said he was poked and won a medical attention right away. He was examined at a hospital. And his buttocks was not seriously You either. know, buttocks is a weird term now that I think about it. I mean, I get it's just strange. And I'm not going to do the, like, is there one buttock? Because obviously there is. But it's just, it's it's odd when you think about buttock. Mm-hmm. Is this kind of like the panty discussion yesterday? Not really, because I understand well, big the, enough for one panty. The, pl- the plural singular there. But can't you just tell when you just by the word uh, and the way it sounds that that was something that the British came up with? Buttock. Like, buttock is an absolutely British sounding word. I mean, the that's. don't say buttock. Don't they? Right across his posterior. I didn't see where you. I see what you did there. I didn't see where you were going, but I like where you ended up, Sarah Dillon. All right. Hey, back on the, the needle poking thing for a second. What's the latest thing? Well, it's better than the choking. I thing. was going to ask where. A lancet. So, what is a lancet exactly? It's used to take blood tests. Is it like for diabetes and so forth? I, I would imagine so. And yeah. for whatever else? Oh, the only reason I was going to ask is. Um, I was going to ask if, like, if they'd ever found a better way to do that. Because, like, uh, you know, I got the whole diabetes and cancer in my family. So it's just a question of which one of those is going to kill me first. Um, you could skip a generation. I, I suppose that's true. Also, uh, you know, I'm not like a big fat bastard, uh, you, know, that, uh, you know, that shovels like, uh, you know, it, like bags of sugar into my face like all my uh, other relatives were. But um, Every time you think you have things that your relatives have, you don't. No, so it'll be something else. It'll be something I'm not anticipating. So really... You might be very healthy, well, you know. Less cancer, more room for MS. 
is what you're saying. All right. Anyway, we'll get Rupin in like 30 seconds. But, you know, my mom, uh, you know, lived in fear of diabetes uh, her whole life. And, uh, and probably still does, even though she's, you know, she's past the point of getting it. I think it's her, you know, her parents had it, whatever. But my mom is hypoglycemic. And she used to do that thing of, like, checking her blood sugar level or whatever. And I remember she used to have to do the worst thing where it was like this tiny little... It wasn't disposable, because I think that's in an era when you didn't worry about such things. But it was like a little permanent needle. It was like a, it was like a, um, it was like a little exacto knife with a plastic handle. It was like a plastic rectangular block. You know what I'm talking about? I you remember these? Those, yes. It was a, it was like, um, well, I guess there's no other way to put it. It was like, it was like a rectangular piece of plastic, m- about the dimensions of a ballpoint pen. But only about three inches long. And the end had a little razor-sharp piece of metal. And then there was a cap that went over the top to protect you from poking yourself accidentally. And, like, once a week, she'd have to, like, take out her finger and, like, bam, like, jab herself in the finger and then put it on a strip that would turn a different color and tell you whatever. So the freakiest thing, man. I used to, I don't even know what it was for, but I used to be afraid that I would get whatever that was and have to start doing it. So you got you got They must have evolved past that at this point. Yeah. I can't remember still doing that. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from Los Angeles. CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum, who I believe is actually in Las Vegas, Nevada today. Hello, sir. Uh, Jim Roop's in Las Vegas. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say Steve Kastenbaum? I'm yeah, sorry. I've been called worse. I'm sorry. You know, that's that's my fault. I was actually uh, switching the prep sheet to see what city you were in, and my eyes landed on the phrase Steve Kastenbaum, and I just said it without thinking. My apologies. I couldn't figure out if they if they'd had time to get you to Vegas or not for this OJ thing. When did you when did you head out there? I'm sorry. Say that again. When did you head to Vegas? Uh, yesterday. All right. So this, so this was no, this was, I guess, uh, scheduled. They knew this was going to happen. Um, what is the bottom line? We heard everything from 15 years uh, for OJ to 30 years to somewhere in between. What is the reality? Well, the reality is he was sentenced on 10 counts. She threw out counts 11 and 12 conspiracy and something else. And the two kidnapping, which are 15 years minimum, are running concurrently. All the sentences are running concurrently. So the most he will serve would be 15, could be eligible for parole, eligible for parole six to nine years, okay. something like that. All right. uh, but I'm still confused because when she imposed the sentence on the kidnapping, she said 15 years plus 12 months consecutive Right. something else. I think she might have misspoke and said, she and meant to say concurrent. See, that's when when she said consecutive. I'm not afraid to say this. When she said consecutive, Tim and I actually gave a little cheer. We went, "Yeah, consecutive." Um, <laughs> but you think that might have been a slip up? It would have only added one year. Yeah, but still. Yeah. Now I thought she was a little. I thought she was a lot more lenient than uh, she was going to be, right. even with her 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 roll up to it. I mean, after Simpson's quivered voice plea for leniency, right, right. She didn't buy it. You know, she uh, she just said no, no, you know. Oh, she gave him both barrels. Yeah, she laid into yeah, him. She did, and then she and then after she sentenced Clarence Stewart, I'm thinking, wow, that was, you know, I counted all told, I think 32 years for him and 49 years for Simpson. All that stuff running concurrently, though, if it was consecutive, it'd be wow. a lot more than 30 years. Wow. But so and when after she sentenced Stewart, I'm thinking, wow, since she's sentenced Stewart, that's some pretty good stuff here. I, you know, Simpson's going to be in these. She's going to give him life. And then she started to do the same thing. It was almost as if she was reading the same sentencing sheet and uh, said concurrent. And, uh, wow, I was I was a little shocked. I mean, he'll, but he'll be in jail for, you know, six to nine years before he's even eligible for parole. And then we'll see what happens. How, how old is he now? 
106. He looked a lot older today than he did when the trial started, I'll tell you that for sure. He's 61. Because they say, you know, obviously, depending on the age when you go in, those things can be a de facto life sentence. Um, So here's a dumb question. Is he there now? When does he start serving? Like immediately or? Oh, they'll transfer him, I think, in a week or so. They took him right away back down to the tunnel to his cell. They'll stay there, and then he'll be transferred. Because the paperwork has to go through and all of that, they'll be transferred, I'm thinking, well, there's one of three places he can go, or maybe he'll wind up at all three throughout the course of the sentence. But I think the first place he'll go will be the um, the High Desert State Nevada State Prison, about 45 minutes north of Las Vegas. So he'll probably go there first. And then maybe wind up in Eli of all places. So maybe this will know. be, uh, he'll be like Suge Knight. He'll do a tour of prisons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. wind up in Shawshank. Maybe. Well, you know, well, Suge Knight actually ended up here. Uh, people don't really know this. Suge Knight ended up in a place called Sheridan, uh, which is actually not too far from Portland. Uh, my wow. wife and I, when my wife and I went to see, uh, we went to see Dennis Miller at Spirit Mountain Casino a while back, and we drove by the Sheridan prison. I'm like, that's where Suge Knight was. So, um, <laughs> wow. Well, so uh, I don't even know where to. I mean, I guess I guess that's kind of it. I mean, that's the long, strange saga of O.J. Simpson. Um, yeah, it was kind of a crazy uh, court scene, I thought. I was surprised he spoke. Uh, she was surprised he spoke. And it was such a rambling that no one, you know, I mean, and, and I, you know, his back was to me, so I didn't really right. couldn't see a whole lot. I couldn't tell if he was welling up with tears. Um, I thought at one point, I'll I tell you this, I can I can honestly tell you this. He realized, because I, I saw his shoulders slump. Mm-hmm. After he spoke... And he thought, you know, hey, I did a good job here. My lawyer did a good job here. She's going to be lenient. After she spoke to him in response to everything, his shoulders just slumped. He well, did, knew he was in trouble. I what, think that's the first time he realized it. What did she call him? She called him, like, ignorant, and she said you're and both arrogant. ignorant and arrogant. Um yeah. It, I and I don't have audio on this, but I saw this on CNN television. I don't know if he actually said this or not. It, it, did he say something like, and I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing it, I didn't mean to rob anybody? I didn't mean to harm anybody. Oh, okay. All right. Because I was going to say... He, and, and it wasn't his intent to rob anybody. Ah, okay. Um, he thought he was going to... Intimidate. No, he thought, yeah, yeah. He thought he was going to confront friends, mm-hmm. people. And he said, he said, you know, I did the book reports with their kids. I sang to their mothers when they were ill. Creepy. Like, well, come on, OJ. You know, you're cracking me up here. And um, after that, you know, you know, he's really pleading big time uh, for some leniency. And he really thought he was going to get some. And then uh, she just kind of laid into him. I still thought she was kind of lenient. Yeah. You know, I, I really thought she gave him, she gave the defense what they wanted, which was basically the possibility of only six years. I wonder if we could get him as a, like, as an interview now. I mean, really, I mean, he's going to be, you know, I, everybody else seems to have sort of written him off at this point. I mean, people have finally closed the book on OJ in their minds. He's going to have some free time. They do have access to telephones to some degree. I wonder if he's a gettable guest for the Rick Emerson show now. I'll bet you not until the appeals are done. His lawyer's not going to let him speak mm. until the appeals are done. The appeals are, uh, I mean, the appeals are already sort of in process. They can't really physically appeal, submit the paperwork until right. all the sentencing paperwork is finished. But as soon as that's done, they're going to appeal it. Richie, yeah. make a note. When the appeals are done, we're going to try to get uh, O.J. Simpson on the show. Hey, oh, I'm going to definitely try and get him. Hey, let me ask you. Uh, let me ask you this. Just as a guy who lived through all of this, um, did you feel any when when she said like, "And you're going away for about 15 years or so." Richie, it's funny, even now, Richie is apparently, this is why I love Richie Bristol. As we speak, he was already writing a letter to the prison to ask if we could interview O.J. Um, to the jail. <laughs> uh, did, did you, did, 
not just for you, but I guess for to whatever extent you can speak to the general vibe, any sense of closure of you know of you know a delayed closure but closure anyway of the goldens or just you know with the whole oj saga i mean because america's well, I, I re- so, you know relationship yeah, I, with oj I think, is i think so the goldman said it best um fred goldman well, obviously said it best but fred goldman said well that's mon- the monsters behind bars where he belongs right um he, he spoke after both he and kim and and when after the verdict was over and they stood up, uh, Kim Goldman turned to him and hugged him, started crying. So I think they're satisfied that he's going to be in prison for uh, quite a long time. Um, and uh, so, and I think the rest of the world is probably going like, well, you know, I guess that's how it goes down, Capone. You know, um, they, they get what they get. It was, it was a sad thing to see. It really was. You know, I mean, we all knew this day was going to come, but you know, when you look back at who OJ was and, what he could still be today, it's like, holy crap, you know? Well, that's the point I was I was making earlier, and I that Sarah was, you know, young when the whole... You were, what, like 16 when the OJ thing happened? Yeah, Sarah? but I watched it in my in my class that I was in. So Sarah, you know, remembers... I mean, Sarah really... And I'm, again, everybody knows not much of a sports fan, but Sarah only really remembers criminal OJ. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I was trying to make the point that, you know, that he was... I mean, you'll have to help me out here. I mean, would it, would it have been fair at some point to call him... The Jordan of football. I mean, is that? Is he, I don't know if he was that good, but not just because he was good, but because he was fun to watch. I mean, he could he could make chicken salad out of chicken crap with any play, just about. I mean, he really knew how to to move. And he and, was. Go ahead. And he was just he was just real good at racking up yardage. I mean, he could really take a football and just run rings around everybody at the same time, run straight. It's just crazy. I mean, I'm old enough to remember going to school uh, when I was in grade school, and kids, uh, I went to a Catholic school, but, so, but occasionally you'd be allowed to, you know, you get free dress day or whatever, but, I mean, kids wearing O.J. Simpson stuff. Um, and, and then yeah. they didn't have merchandise then like they do now, but it was basically just like a jacket or a jersey or whatever. But I've... I remember watching, I was watching a, a football game once. It was, it was, it was the Bengals. I, was, I grew up in Cincinnati. The Bengals were playing Buffalo. In Buffalo, mm-hmm. and it was, I mean, the snow was just—you couldn't see anything. You could barely see. And Buffalo was wearing the white uniforms. If they didn't have blue and, or stripes on them, we wouldn't be able to see them. Right. And uh, the and the announcer said, "I'll never forget this." He said, "O.J. Simpson running as if it was 72 degrees and sunny, <laughs> because he, the weather didn't bother him." I remember. Uh, this is my. Now we're talking about like he's dead. I remember. I remember watching. Uh, I don't know, some Sunday game somewhere. I don't remember much, but my dad was a big football fan. So I remember watching uh, O.J. play some some afternoon in my youth, and the guy describing O.J. running and getting past, you know, the, the breaking through the tackles and evading and getting all the way to the end zone. And I remember the guy saying, um, a leg here, a foot there, and it's goodbye from O.J. Simpson. That's the phrase I'll always remember. But again, going to school, all the kids, man, the kids in my school, it was like they had O.J.'s number, and I and I grew up in Washington. So, you know, the yeah. kid had O.J.'s number written on their folders, on their textbooks. I mean, he was, he was uh, and then, of course, uh, but and also like Jordan, he was incredibly charismatic. He did TV commercials for all kinds of products. He was in movies. I mean, big movies like The Towering Inferno. He was in a movie with Steve McQueen. I mean, he was the S. I mean, he was he was the biggest thing. And I mean, you look at him now and you're just like, I mean, that is a guy who is that is what you call a total and complete reversal of fortune. I mean, that is almost like it is almost like the, the 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 actual real Cinderella of where everything at midnight turns back into a pumpkin, you know? So, Jesus. Well, you know what? After his acquittal, though, he had an opportunity to get that back. But he, his arrogance 
you know, his ego uh, just trumped everything. Yeah. And he, instead of him being humble, and uh, I mean, to this day, if he if he did that right, people would probably believe he didn't. If he people. if he if he hadn't been just such a weird jerk about it, and. Yeah. And I said this earlier, I think that as a nation, we are just so overdosed on stories now by the media. I think the media force feeds us stuff, and then we're so, you know, it's like when your dad locks you in the closet with a carton of cigarettes and makes you smoke them until you never want to smoke again. I think big stories now, and O.J. may have been one of the first of these, um, big stories now are fed to us so forcefully and on every channel and 24 hours a day that when they're done, you never want to hear that story again. And I think... We are still just sick of O.J., and I think it's probably going to take 50 years before that story is really told, because when you think about it, it really is just the absolute implosion, decline and fall of, of an American icon. I mean, probably, I, I mean, I would, I would go so far as to say this, and I can't think of, of a better one. I would say that probably the rise and inevitable fall, or not inevitable, but the eventual fall of O.J. Simpson. In other words, if you take O.J., who I think had rickets when he was a kid, and they, he didn't, they, you know, he wasn't even supposed to be able to walk or whatever. Um, if you take O.J. from cradle to to, to 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 where he is now, it is one of the biggest, you know, story arcs, one of the biggest rises and falls in American public life ever, ever. You're absolutely right, yeah. And so 100 years from now, I mean, you know, they'll tell the story and, and people will be gripped by it. I think now we're just so sick of it we don't want to hear about it, but it is amazing. Yes. So, all right, my friend, uh, big plans for your weekend. No, I'm just going to drive home and take a nap. All right, there you go. You know what? There's nothing wrong with that, sir. All right, have Thank a good uh, Drive safe. We'll talk to you soon, brother. Thanks, buddy. There you go. Jim Roop, ladies and gentlemen. All right, let's do uh, one more here and then we'll take a break. All right. Then somebody wants to talk to us. We got the blood fingerprinting, radio drama, atheist convention. Those are the calls on the way. Here's Tim Riley. Well, talk about a sticky situation. Yeah. Two people received non-life-threatening injuries in a commercial vehicle crash that closed down Highway 395 between Riley and Wagon Tire. Riley and Wagon Tire. These are two different towns. Riley. Is that? Are you going to be? On, are you going to be on Nashville now with Ralph Emery? Can you imagine that? I didn't even know these towns existed. Riley and Wagon Tire. Wagon Tire, you know that that town, here's the deal about that town. You can tell everything about that town from the name. And what I mean by that is that town clearly doesn't matter or mean anything. Sorry to those who live there. Because they never bothered to give it a more modern sounding name. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like like New York, you know, they obviously, you know, I mean, I guess that was named that to begin with. But you know what I mean? There's like, did you ever go back and look at them? Amsterdam originally. But did you ever go back and you look at, uh, you know, the the names that towns used to have? What was this? Well, it's Rust Bucket, you know, but then they named it something else because they wanted it to be a town on the move. Mm -hmm. Wagon Tire, they never bothered to update that because who cares? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's really what it is. Well, it all started when a commercial trick pulling two tankers loaded with molasses was southbound on Highway 395 near milepost 17. The truck's driver from Twin Falls, Idaho, reportedly swerved to avoid several deer crossing the roadway. Well, the tractor and the trailers left the roadway off the west shoulder of the road, tried to get back on. Both trailers and tractor rolled over, and out came the molasses. Mm. Hundreds of thousands of gallons of molasses spilling out of the road into ditches on the side of the highway. It's not hazardous, causing very little environmental impact. Less than five gallons of diesel fuel also spilled. The OSP uh, cited one fellow for careless driving. Uh, cleaning up molasses has got to be not, not a lot of not. fun. Imagine, though, like the birds and insects that immediately descended on that place. I like this headline. Stupid OJ sentenced to 15 years. 
Is it because uh, the Simpson family are retards, Tim? I know. I was going to see how you were going to work that. From where is that headline? E online. Stupid OJ sentenced to 15 years. Bad OJ. Bad. All right. Off the sofa. All right. Take a break. Uh, If you're on hold about atheist conventions, the radio drama, or blood fingerprinting, I'm looking at you on hold right now. Um, Stay there. We'll get your calls immediately following this break. Literally a matter of seconds. I mean, it's a lot of seconds, but but still seconds nonetheless. Stay there. Back after this, more of Tim Riley later on. Aaron Duran, Storm Large. Don't go anywhere. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. If you're busy stalking Taylor Swift, here's some news about her. Uh, Apparently she got no nominations for the Grammys, I guess. John Mayer. I don't really know anybody who likes John Mayer. I know a lot of people who are sort of aware of him. I know people who dislike him. I don't really know anybody that's a big John Mayer fan. Mm -mm. I don't know if I'd like to know anyone who's a big John Mayer fan. Five nominations. All right, well, there you go. I was going to read the rest of this, but I don't really care. Wait, no. Madonna got a nomination. I'm looking here that I'm scanning through. Let's see. Madonna, uh, best dance recording. So there you go. Boy, that was just a non-story. I just waded into that Grammy story thinking there might be something there at the end, and there was just a road to it was a road to tears and boredom. Way to kick off. Uh, and then all eyes were shut, and <laughs> nap time began. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hello. Hi. Yes. Hello. Hi. Maybe we should start this whole segment over. <laughs> Seriously. For the love of God. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Is this me? Yes, it is. Okay, I'm just going to pretend I didn't hear the the, the promo uh, going into the, the new break. So uh, the new radio drama, the CBS radio drama, starts this Sunday at 6? Yes, that is correct, sir. And is it uh is it both ANC, AZ, and Crimson Myth, or yes. is it like one episode a week? No, no, no. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be either the whole the the umbrella title for the whole thing is CBS Radio Theater, but it's actually two episodes. You know, in other in other words, two series. Sort of like how there was Must See TV, but then that was Seinfeld and Friends. So the you know the overarching name of the whole thing is CBS Radio Theater, but there's two different dramas. One is AZ, and one is The Adventures of the Crimson Mist. It sounds great. And uh, one more thing, I'm not gonna hang up on you. It's Magic Hour with Dog Chocolate. And the ride! The ride! Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks so much. That's from, the one from the end. I love that one. For a minute, though, I thought he was going to say the I'm not going to hang up on you, but and then hang up. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Yeah, good afternoon. What's up? Uh, well, I'm a little delayed here, but I was going over an area where I couldn't call in, so, and then you caught Jim Roop. That's all. Anyways, I wanted to call you about the atheist convention. Yes. Um, is this leading cousin, up to a joke? No, no. Okay. No, well, just other than the fact that the atheist himself. My cousin is a card-carrying atheist. And every year, surprisingly enough, they have their convention around Easter because they get good deals on the hotels. And they had, in 07, they had it up in Seattle. Uh-huh. And he was there for the three-day convention. I drove, I drove up Saturday afternoon, got, saw him, went to a couple of little things around the convention area. It was kind of interesting. The one lady who does Pat, from the old Saturday Night Live. Julia yeah. Sweeney. Yes. She had, she was signing her CDs where she, uh, and I, I listened to the CDs we were coming back from Seattle, and she describes her life growing up Catholic right. and how she came to be an atheist. 
Um, the author, Kenneth Clark, was there. I did buy his book. I got about halfway through. It was kind of boring. It was interesting. It was interesting. It's an interesting can... slice of humanity, I suppose. It was. And, and, I mean, some of those guys are just so hardcore. It's just unbelievable. Well, it's like, I mean, and again, it, it, whatever. Some of my best friends are atheists. And, I, you know, I don't have a problem with being an atheist. Just like I don't have any problem with being people being religious. But it is people just like obnoxious, hardcore religious types just chafe at you. People who, like, really got to get, like, up in your face. No, I'm an atheist. I'm like, okay, I understand that. And a joyless crank. Please go away. So, really, what is the point of going to an atheist? Can you imagine what a just a sad, tedious affair that whole thing must be? Talk about just a lost weekend. God. You're right about the lost weekend aspect of it. But, like I said, I was there for a few hours on Saturday and then maybe an hour. They didn't go to church, obviously, on Sunday. But uh, they had this room room that was rented out, and they had a Jeopardy game. (laughs) And it was, you know, audience involved. And it was kind of interesting, and to tell you the truth, you know, because I had I kind of grew up Catholic, I knew some of the answers, and of course they were mocking all the right, answers. Right, of which, course. Eh, whatever. I yeah. you know, I, I can kind of see both ways of that one, but right. it was interesting. All right, thank, interesting. thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, there you go. I used to have kind of a crush on Julius Sweeney, like FYI. One more, then we'll do uh, more news here. Um, and by the way, if you're playing Atheist Jeopardy, the answer to everything is Richard Dawkins. So just you know, uh, hi or Christopher Hitchens. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. What's up? Is this me? Yes, it is. Hello, sir. Hey, I had a funny story about O.J. I was in middle school. When You're the only home. person in America left who has one, apparently. Well, I think everybody else has, everybody else's stories about O.J. are less than amusing at well, this I'm point. Well, I'm going to try and help you out. Hey, anyway, I was in middle school when the original <laughs> thing went down. He cut and, off my uh, sister's legs. Well, there was a book in one of the classrooms about O.J.'s football career. And uh-huh. on the cover, someone had written, turn to page, you know, 46. And on page 46, they had underlined a passage, and it said, the crowd was amazed as O.J. knifed through the defense like a hot knife through butter. <laughs> and knife was underlined like five times. I, I thought that was hilarious. Okay, that is really, that is truly funny. All right, that, I didn't think it could be done. Thank you, sir. All right, thanks a lot. Bye. All right, there you go. Ladies and gentlemen, the Ministry of Truth, knifing through ignorance. It's Tim Riley. And now, now though, wow. from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. They found somebody to replace Hillary in the New York Senate. But she hasn't officially accepted. They want Caroline Kennedy. Really? Mm-hmm. Who has no experience in politics whatsoever. Well, that hasn't stopped her. It hasn't stopped Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton or Sarah Palin. So that may be true. All right. Hey, you know, somebody did note um, uh, that if it weren't for prohibition, we wouldn't have the Kennedys. And that's certainly true. Yep. So mm-hmm. no JFK. And probably without JFK, we wouldn't have had a Bill Clinton. So really, I guess we can th- And without Clinton, probably no Obama. So we can thank prohibition uh, for all those guys. Mm-hmm. From New York comes word, a white social studies teacher's attempt to enliven the seventh grade discussion on slavery by binding the hands and feet of two black girls is prompting outrage. Uh, if the student is upset, it was a bad idea, said the superintendent. You think? Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, they've uh, refused to say what if any measures will uh, go against the teacher. We encourage our teachers to deliver the curriculum in a variety of ways to go along reading the textbook. Except for reenacting slavery. That might be on the list of, ooh, don't. Now, we don't want to discourage creativity, but this obviously went wrong because the student was upset. That's the only reason why they think this is wrong. Otherwise, if the student had been all for it, it would have been great. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so this was a discussion about uh, African captives being taken to America on slave ships. They bound the students' hands and feet with tape and have them crawl under a desk to simulate the experience. And, uh, let's see, uh, one of the mothers was uh, outraged, as anybody would be. There are other ways to demonstrate slavery. Who couldn't agree with that? 
they fear the teacher just doesn't get it after a discussion meeting. The teacher apologized because the student was upset, not well, because but, she did something wrong. But, you know, we've talked so much about the auto industry and about uh, GM and Chrysler and Ford versus, let's say, Honda and Toyota, and everybody's pointed to the strength of unions. Mm-hmm. Behold, where is that, New York? New York. Behold the strength of the teachers' union there. I mean, I mean, really, let's... Look, I know that everybody tries to find unconventional ways to reach those troubled kids who just don't want to learn. And damn it, I'm going to teach these kids whether they like it or not. Stand and deliver. Um, the, the idea that when you're discussing slavery that you... Wait, hold on. No, let me, let me bind this black student and stick them under a desk. And that that somehow leads to... What is it? They're weighing what action to perhaps yeah. take against the teacher? Really, right. You don't there. want to stifle the teacher's creativity. No, of course not, Tim. So if anybody really wants, like, prima facie evidence of why unions perhaps uh, have a little too much leverage in this world, that might be example one right there. So I'd say that could be cured with a good firing. Here's Tim Riley. What's going on in modern Iraq, you ask? Well, international media groups are calling for the release of a journalist jailed in Iraq for violating a public decency law by writing a story about homosexuality. Adel Hussein has been sentenced to six months in jail and will have to pay $106. He's being held in a prison 220 miles north of Baghdad. Apparently, he broke a 1969 Iraqi penal code rule. A penal code rule. <laughs> so this is in Iraq. It's yes. where we brought freedom. Yes. So it's good to see that our $3 trillion brought us, uh, you know, they brought freedom of speech and liberty to well, Iraq. Well, they re- restored these 1969 Iraqi laws. Well, let me understand this. We couldn't quite bring it up to the 21st century. We have, in fact, just brought Iraq up to 1969. That's correct. For like another $5 trillion, we might get them up through Watergate. Mm-hmm. Jesus, God Almighty. It's, I mean, and that was the, that's not like... Some some uh, fringe group that did this like that's is that the Iraqi government that did this? Yes. So let me understand this, just so I can bottom line. Mm. For three trillion dollars, I would say probably what three thousand dead American troops at this point, fifty thousand wounded. God knows how many wounded or killed Iraqis. Mm. We have managed to get rid of Saddam Hussein, and to now put in place a government that is in fact imprisoning a guy for writing an article about homosexuality. Yes. Well, Tim, that's just money well spent. Talking about money well spent, the word from our government, and how could we doubt this, the Pentagon's missile defense test was a rousing success. The defense system accurately simulates attacks from long-range missiles fired from North Korea and Iran, or both. Pentagon officials said the test is realistic in terms of distance, trajectory, speed, and time frame. The target missile was launched today from an Air Force base in California that intercepted a missile fired from Alaska... The missile defense system also has ship-based and long-range shields. They're making this up. It didn't work. I'm telling you that right now. Just call. I'm just. I'm How not. Did a, all this stuff work on the first try. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm just saying that's just. It's not a. That's just a lie. That's just a lie. It, it doesn't lie. It didn't work. It didn't work. Jesus, I can't. I mean, for the love of Christ. And this, why would they tell us? That we it don't. Worked? We that we have. Why would we have to know if it works? And I'm going to note that you know what? Here on the studio door, we have doorknobs. That's not a real technologically advanced invention. These doorknobs haven't been working recently, and there's literally one moving part and a bolt. That's it. Doesn't want to work. Uh, the missile intercept thing didn't work either. So just so you know. All right. Here's uh, Tim Riley. A New Jersey woman is suing a township sports bar and restaurant, saying she got stuck inside the toilet bowl for 20 minutes after the handicapped Is toilet... she a very small woman? Apparently, the handicapped toilet seat cracked. Oh. Probably under the weight, I guess. Uh, uh, Kathleen Huku... Uh, Who? Nah, that doesn't work. I'm sorry. 
The incident, uh, she re-injured her, uh, her vertebrae when the seat cracked in half at Starter's Pub, violently dropping her into the toilet bowl. The word toilet bowl and the word violently in the same sentence are never good. She screamed for help before finally getting out. Her attorney said the toilet seat was defective. It's not a question of her being an obese woman. Of course not. No, that couldn't possibly be the case. So they're suing the toilet seat company. Well, you know, and by the way, it's just it, on the list of things I'm never going to, and I guess I'm not a woman, so I don't have to deal with this. On the list of things I'm never going to do, you sitting down on the toilet in a bar. I mean, it doesn't matter. Good bar, bad bar, you upscale, downscale. Quad muscles. Seriously, that's the thing. I mean, first of all, God love Jason Sabala, but I remember going to Sabala's table one time mm-hmm. and, um, you know, going into the bathroom. Their bathrooms and, were notoriously oh, gross. Oh, seriously. Jason knows that. I mean, can I just tell you this? I don't mean to work blue. Even doing the, uh, as a man, you have this option. Even doing the stand-up business, the number one was tricky because you didn't even like to, like, expose any part of your of your skin in that bathroom. You know what I mean? Like, you didn't even like to, you just, I mean, even just w- standing in that bathroom, you wanted to be wrapped in saran. So, uh, let's do, like, two calls, then we'll break here. we got to get caught up. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What up? Hey, Rick, how are you? Hey. Um... Sadly, I have to bring it back to O.J. As Americans, we seem to do that. Sure. Um, when you go to jail, is that considered your residence? And I know that sounds like a stupid question, but he moved to Florida because his NFL pension couldn't be touched there. Oh, that's a good question. So if his residence is in, let, let's say, Las Vegas, Nevada. Exactly. That's will a the government be able to go after and take his NFL pension now? That's a really good question. I'll ask Jim Roop about that. No, that actually oh. is a great question. I know. I called in after Roop was gone. Sorry about yeah. that. I'm hoping we can nail him tomorrow. All right. Him. Or actually Monday, Monday. yeah. All right. Uh, anything else, sir? No, that'll do it. Okay, cool. ever. Thank you. One more, then we break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hi. I, our poor, suffering bank system. Yes. I was just in my credit union, and they had a nice sign up there about buying little stuffed animals. My first assumption being it's like for Dornbeckers for or children or something. Sure. Yeah. No, it's to help support the National Association of Federal Credit Unions. So they actually, well, I suppose that's a good alternative to bailouts. <laughs> I mean, given the, really, given the choice between bailouts and buying like a small stuffed elephant, I guess I would have to vote with the latter. That's true. I, I'd rather have the decision to buy the stuffed animal than just have my tax dollars taken away from me. Maybe we should just have one big national bake sale. What do you think? There you go. I, I like it. Or yeah. lap dances. Lap dances. <laughs> lap dances for what's a thing that starts with L that needs money? Chrysler, Ford, cars, loans. We need to like lap dances for something. All right. Well, I'll look into it. Thank you, sir. Thank you. There you go. If your bank offered you a lap dance for like $12, you know, or maybe like even cheaper, like $9, but then it, like it all went to the bank, you know, to keep them solvent. I might do that. I'm not much of a lap dance guy, but I might I might have that. All right. Well, whatever. That's just weird sounding. I'm sorry. Um, back after this. Coming up in the next hour, Aaron Duran from GeekInTheCity.com. Storm Large will be here. More from Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth and other amusements. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Don't go anywhere. We are back right after this. Thank you. 
Emerson Radio Program. It is the Christmas season. Hey, you know how you could make some money right now? Not you. You know how? Uh, I mean, like really? No, we can never make any. <laughs> we've learned that. We've learned that uh, nothing we do, uh, nothing we do outside of these walls is ever successful. I shouldn't say that. That's not technically true. But financially, um, it's true. Well, I was going to say we have. I was actually just. Um, I was just reading an email about this is why I'm working backward. I was uh, I was just reading an email about the Outlet Portland, which is you know the the show I see. I can talk about this now. Uh, Outlet Portland, which is of course the TV show that I host uh, Sundays at 6:30 on the CW, the Gossip Girl Network. Um, but um, anyway, but the, 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 we, I'm actually now not free and clear to talk about and whatever, which actually does be going really well. But as we've noted many, many times on this program, if you really want to make sure uh, that something done outside of these walls, like an outside project, never makes any money, uh, just, you know, get permission to talk about it. And that then, you know, as soon as you can promote it, no one's interested in it. If it's a thing that people care about, can't talk about it at all. Anyway, um, but you know how somebody could make money? We were just talking about snarky atheists. Somebody needs to do like a snarky atheist Christmas carol. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like on the 12th I'm day of sure Christmas, da 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 there is no God, you know, whatever. Uh, something, something, blah, blah, blah. I'm just saying. Uh, it's uh, 503-733-2970. In a moment, we'll welcome uh, Aaron Durand of the studio. we got calls. Glorious Bastard of the Week, Storm Large, more from Tim Riley, etc. Hello, hi, who might this be? This is Ed. Hello, Ed, amuse me. Uh, i got three uh, money-making uh, opportunities for you. Good for uh, you. Comments you had just before the commercial. All uh, right. First of all, maybe overly obvious, but lap dances for Lehman Brothers. Lamp dances for lenders, somebody else suggests. It seems like, don't you think we ought to be able to do something? Ought to be like strippers for something. Something to help the economy. That's it. Wait, was that? I thought you had three things. Oh, well, the third one was cats. All I right. thought about it. It's kind of gross. Okay. All right, well, let's not say it then. Well, thank, right, then. thank you for reconsidering, and I mean that sincerely. I know you do. All thank right, you. thank you for listening. Bye. See? There's a guy who reconsidered and decided not to use a crudity on the air. You don't need the word. You never play the big rooms if you work blue. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's up? Hey, Rick, Sarah, and Tim. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. How's it go? I wanted to ask about that story that you guys, Tim, read a few minutes ago. After Are you on some break. kind of medication? No, why? All right. You just uh, you drawing out your vowel sounds a little bit as though you might have just woken up from a nap or taken some Benadryl. No. All right. What story, sir? The one about the guy from Iraq. Yes. Something about homosexuality. Uh, well, there was a guy in an Iraq prison who wrote a story about sexual uh, homosexuality, and of course, you know. Is guy's name? I don't know why. Well, that's what I wanted to know because I wasn't quite sure what Tim said. His last name was Hussein, I believe. Hussein. What was? His it's first just name? like Smith over there. But what was his first name? I don't know. Are you worried he might be like a relative of yours, and you haven't seen no, him in a no, while? Or no, no, it's just. I thought I heard Tim say a certain word, and I wasn't sure if, you know, I thought it was funny. Well, Tim's always funny, sir. Yeah. Please forgive me. I don't know what we're talking about right now. Well, (laughs) 
<laughs> Richie said I shouldn't say it on the air. All right, hold on a second. Don't go anywhere. Richie, right. please, Richie, please come to the... I'm going to put you on hold, sir. Richie, please come go to the ahead. studio. All right. I'm not hanging up. You're just on hold. Let me see if I can... Uh, you have to drop my level here for a second, Sarah. Let's... Uh, there we go. All right, so welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, our intrepid PA, Richie Bristol. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello. Hi. Uh, okay, what is up with this guy's call? What is he talking about? Uh, he said he thought he heard Tim say a different name. Like or... a first name? Uh-huh. What was the first name of the Iraqi homosexuality writer that he thought... Is it uh, suitable for the air? Uh, it's kind of... Why don't you tell me, Richie? Why don't like, you whisper it in Sarah's it's ear? Like canal. That doesn't mean anything. Missing the first letter? Oh, it's, uh, oh, like a butt word. Oh, like, like an analropist. Like an analropist, exactly. A, as though one was to be, uh, yes, all right. What's an analropist? Whatever, all right, let's no, move that, on. No, that wasn't his name. All right, that wasn't his name, sir. Thank you for calling. All right, I am now hanging up on you. Don't take offense, it's just the call is done. All right, thanks. Star's here. All right, boy, that was a useless segment. Uh, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, Aaron Geek in the City, Duran, I say, trying to find, there we go. Hello, Aaron Duran. Hey. How are you? Well, I was doing fine, but now I'm really confused. Yeah, it's okay. It's better, you know, sometimes you just kind of go, no, that's great, sir, we'll look into it. And so then his he... name was Tobias Hussein or something? Yes. I should change my middle name to Hussein. <laughs> you know, just like in solidarity with Barack Obama, there so he doesn't go. have to suffer through that alone. Like Maybe a patriot. we can all do it together. Exactly. Well, you know, I mean, that's, you know, it, you know what it is? It's like when that kid at school is going through chemo and everybody shaves their heads. You know, we should all change our names, like Sarah Hussein Dillon. Uh, Aaron Hussein Duran, Rick Hussein uh, Emerson, you know, and so be Tim Hussein Riley. It's better than my real middle name, which is Peter. Peter. <laughs> See, thank God. Uh, Peter. I barely knew her. Right. Yay, one more I can add to the list. Uh, in a moment here, we'll uh, welcome Storm Large to the studio. What is up in the world of geekery, sir? <coughs> Sorry. Well done. That's well done. Hacking is what is so up. Much. Well, you don't even have a cough button. So. No. Yeah, I tried to pull away there. That's okay. Uh, what is up is I am knee-deep in radio dramas right now. That is yeah. the world of geekery for me. It is, man. It's so excited. Very too, excited. And terrified. No, it's going to, you know what, I just, and I really am not trying to do like a Macbeth thing here, but it is, um, it is, it's, it's going to be really cool. I mean, I... No, I think it will be. I'm pretty jazzed. I have to tell you this, so uh, i pull up a chair here because I'm getting all excited. Uh, so on... I don't know, whatever, last week, Thursday, Friday, something. I sat through, a, or Sunday, I guess. Last I sat Sunday, through a, last Sunday. A read-through slash rehearsal for both the Crim Adventures of the Crimson Mist and AZ, which are the two radio dramas. And uh, and I'm trying to try to make this clear. I guess it may be a little confusing. But CBS Radio Theater is just the name of the whole show. That's the whole shebang right there. Like when you say Barnum and Bailey's Greatest Show on Earth. Or kind of like, well, our inspiration was kind of like the Mercury Theater presents the inner right. sanctum. So know. there's two shows uh, under that banner. One is AZ, which stands for After Zombies, and that is set in contemporary, modern-day Portland, but after the zombie apocalypse. And it's sort of the ragtag band of survivors yep. trying, to make their, trying to make their way through a zombie-filled Portland. It's... Uh, I don't want to over. I don't want to oversell happy it. fun times are had by all. Yes, I don't want to oversell it, but I'll say I was in the conference room and you guys were doing just a read through, which is again not just a um, uh, not just like a full, you know not like a full dress rehearsal or whatever. It's just like a read through, sitting everybody sitting around the table reading the script. And I won't give it away, but there's a couple moments in that AZ script where when it uh, it made it gave me chills. I mean, it really did. And I'm not trying to like uh, well, thank you, you know, whatever. Nice. It's really good. Uh, and then there's the Adventures of the Crimson Mist, which also takes place in Portland. The Adventures of the Crimson Mist takes place in 1943, Portland. Yes. And it is a 
a traditional superhero drama like the days of old. Yeah, uh, it's like Doc Savage or The right. Shadow and stuff like that. And the phrase that I've been using is that The Crimson Mist is one of those old superhero serials that is almost done in, like, primary colors. It is very bold, very, like, beware, evildoers. Yeah. <laughs> so it's going to be pretty cool. much, I, when I was writing that one, uh, basically, like, the Indiana Jones soundtrack never right. went off. Totally. Every time I wrote it, it's like, dun, dun, dun. I think that actually Buzz, when he did the imagery, I think actually the promo has some of the Indiana Jones yeah. music behind it. It's like Marion's theme or... Or There's a couple that go in there, yeah, I've heard so, of them. Yeah, anyway, so that's uh, so that's cool. It's very exciting, but it's also nerve-wracking. Yeah. Uh, have you? I mean, I don't even know if anything's opening this weekend. Anything open this week that we need to care about? The Punisher War Zone. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, you said care about. I mean, yeah. I just, there's no way. I you mean, know what? Yeah. If you got to go see a movie this week, uh, either go to the Clinton Street and see Repo, the genetic opera. <gasps> yeah, right? yeah, It's fantastic. Did you see it, Aaron? Yes, I finally saw and it. What did you think of it? It's genius. Oh, that's the Paris Hilton. That's the Paris Hilton it's not industrial. The Paris Hilton, but it's she's you know she's not bad in it, huh? Uh, but, no, she's oh, good. All right, let's stop. For those who don't know, what we're talking about this is the movie that Sarah was really or is really obsessed with. It is the gothic vampire whatever industrial musical drama in which Paris Hilton plays. No vampire. No vampire. No yes. vampires. Just grave robbers. Sarah, yeah. what is the d describe for us briefly the plot of the movie? Um, in the future, like people's um, like organs and stuff start to malfunction, and so there's they basically harvest organs in the future and like. Um, and yeah. if you like are, are indebted to somebody, mm -hmm. they can come and take like your eyeballs. Or, like, yeah, if, your basically, if you fall behind in payments on your organs, the Repo Man can come and take them. Okay. And well, the Repo Man good. is played by Giles. Real by awesome. Anthony yes. Anthony Head. And it's an opera, and he has some of the coolest songs. He's a great. Like, he does. Oh, and like and the sequences are really cool. Oh, like, he's like, awesome. With like the graphic art and then you know and then like the oh, singing. And yeah, the it's very much uh, some of it's editing. You know how like Sam Raimi used to those or like Shaun of the Dead those quick fun edits. Right, right. Whenever he's suiting up as Repo Man, he's singing about ripping out organs in this rock song while he's like doing these quick cuts and putting on the suit. The movie's I, uh, badass. I will say that Anthony Head, who of course was Giles and Buffy, he is in his native Britain or wherever the hell he's from. He is, you know, he's a he's a singer. He actually yep. has a had for a long time has been a long time singer. That was actually what he did before he acted. Um, he didn't really get a chance to do it much on Buffy. No. Although there is, and they are the first people in like 30 years to do it and make it work. There is a sequence in Buffy, I think season, I don't know, like five or some crap, and it, they pull it off. It, it seems impossible, uh, but they pull off a sequence where he as Giles is singing a little bit of um, Freebird uh, about Buffy, and it works. It like completely, and they like Isn't navigate he the it. guitar. Also, it's just him. It's just him sitting in his apartment, his by himself, just him and an acoustic guitar singing part of because Buffy is leaving. She's leaving, I think, because uh, she no longer needs yeah. to watch her. Right. And she's leaving, and it's, uh, you know, and it was like, it was really, really like a sword from the stone moment where you took that song and he made it work. Like, so, yeah. Anyway, and can I say, so, I'm, I'm completely secure in myself, so I can say this. He is also just drop-dead sexy as Dr. Frankenfurter in Rocky Horror. He he did it over in London a couple years oh, ago. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. But I'm obsessed. Cool. Can you see the Grave Robber, that character? Because you spoke with him on Film Free Yes, Radio, on right? Film Free Radio. This, you can download it now. We spoke to, uh, his name is Terrence Zajdujic. Uh, he wrote most of the songs for mm -hmm. Repo the Genetic Opera and plays the character of the Grave Who Robber. Is the sexiest goddamn character. Oh, my God. The well, sexiest Grave Robber ever. He's wearing a flesh mask. How can he be that sexy? Wait, which one am I thinking? I'm thinking of the hot one, the grave robber. Okay, no, that's right. He doesn't wearing a flesh mask. No, that's the, the one brother. That's Do Paris I even need to be here? No. So that's like Paris Hilton's brother. But his job is so cool because the only way to do surgeries properly is you have to get a drug called Zydrate that makes you all feel euphoric and no song. films. And, and you don't feel any pain, but can only be pulled out of the, the juices of dead corpses. This is not in real life, by the way. This isn't a movie. What are you talking about? There was also that movie called I Come in Peace. Same plot. Moving on. Uh, oh, or the other movie this weekend? Go see JCVD. 
Which is? Jean-Claude Van Damme. I was thinking like Jesus Christ, venereal disease. No, it's, it's pretty cool. Jean-Claude Van Damme is playing himself, and it's this kind of bleak, depressing, but humorous comedy where he is in a bank... And robbers break into the bank, and everybody assumes that Von Damme should be able to save the day. Okay, now, but this is just like a They Call Me Bruce thing. Can I say I saw They Call Me Bruce, and this is really going to hurt to say? It doesn't. No. It's not very good. It's not very good. They're already working on a sequel. It's not. Here's the problem with They Call Me Bruce. He should have been Bruce. Let's back up well, for a second. Yeah. They Call Me Bruce, not to be confused with the kung fu comedy of the same name. They the still 80s. call me Bruce. Um, They Call Me Bruce is a movie starring Bruce Campbell of Evil Dead fame. And as I understand it, more or less, there's like some sort of zombie monster outbreak, whatever, and the townspeople all want him to save them because they think that he is like Ash. They don't think he's yeah. Bruce Campbell, so it's, it is in turn like Galaxy Quest. Yeah. So the thing about Bruce Campbell is his movies are either really good or they're just bad. I mean, he the, people don't like to hear that, but Bruce Campbell does make bad movies sometimes. Oh, he makes tons of bad movies. He makes a lot of great bad movies. Man with a screaming brain. No, that's a terrible, terrible Yeah, that's movie. what I'm saying. It's an awful At film. least he pokes fun at that one in this movie. Right. But uh, final note, and then we'll welcome Storm Large to the show. Uh, another movie you could see that is actually opening today. Opens today. Nightly screenings today through the 11th at Cinema 21. It is a movie by James Westby called The Auteur. And uh, written and directed by James Westby. And I can, I'm can i now free to say this. Um, he was on Outlook Portland. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a really, it's a funny movie. And um, let's welcome now Storm Large to the uh, to the Rick Emerson Show. Hi, everybody. I don't know if you've had a chance to, to see it or if you... I've seen chunks of it. And I was actually, uh, I was uh, over with Court and Fatboy last night mm-hmm. with uh, Mr. Westby. And ah. Who hearts you quite a bit there, Rick Emerson. Uh, uh... I, and I actually have to apologize. His, uh, like his, his, you know, one of his PR guys had emailed me uh, like a couple days ago. And they're like, hey, I know you had James Westby on Outlook Portland. Do you want to have him on the radio show to talk about the auteur? And, and I just, I missed the email. So I was lost like in the oh. stack. And I actually emailed back to them. So I'm sorry. You know, I just, I saw this. I apologize. Um, but we had him on Outlook Portland. And he's, um, it's, it's it, it, I won't give everything away, but it is a pseudo, you know, a mockumentary, I guess. It is a pseudo documentary, though, about the uh, the Stanley Kubrick of the porn world. The greatest porn director of in all the world. time. Of all time. And most of the jokes and porn titles we can't say on the air. Yeah. Um, but it is uh, filmed entirely in Portland with a little bit in Battleground. Um, a lot of locations you'll recognize. Mm-hmm. A lot of people you'll awesome. recognize. Some folks yeah. you'll recognize. If you uh, tend to go to strip clubs like me. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's a, but it's, you Lots know, it's of, like, performers. Mary's, Lots of real performers. Mary's of... Club is in there. The Jupiter Hotel yeah. is in there. And of course, you know, all the others have made in Oregon sign, all that stuff. Um, anyway, that is at Cinema 21 tonight through the 11th. It is uh, James Westby's The Auteur, also starring this guy, uh, um, uh, Malik Malkazian. Who's hilarious. Who is, who you would uh, love, I think, at certain moments in the film, Sarah. Uh, he's a very uh, handsome man, great actor. Ooh, but I say, at cer- I say at certain moments because he. He was also on Buffy, by the way, at one yeah. point in season four. But he gained and then lost 40 pounds for the movie. 40. I yeah. thought it was like trickery or fat suit. What he, is his name? Uh, Melik Malkazian, M-E-L-I-K, and then Malkazian, M-A-L-K-A-S-I-A-N. He's not the prom king in Buffy, was he, season four? No, he's just, I forget who he is. He's some guy. Oh. Um, but um, but he gained 40 pounds and then lost it all again for the movie. Anyway, it's so there you go. The Auteur Cinema 21 uh, Hello, Storm Large. How are you, Rick Emerson? I am fantastic. How are you, Aaron and I Sarah? Very well. Fantastic. So nice. I missed you guys. This is the first time Rick's allowed you and I in the studio together. That's no, not true. No, it's not. It's happened many times before. It's not really? like I forbid it. I mean, I. <laughs> are you terrified of us? No, I. Uh, like a vulgar Wonder Twins. Together. 
I think that uh, I think that at a certain point it's kind of like letting Storm and Byron in the studio together. Oh yeah, that's well, that's tricky. Only under the most controlled circumstances yes. now that we do that. So. Yes. But speaking of porn, yes. I I love porn. <laughs> um, but you know Nina Hartley. Yes, I do. I love Nina Hartley. Nina Hartley is wonderful, and she has a series uh, a series uh, I can't you know, and I can't remember what they're called, but they're how to be a better lover, yeah. how to do better at this, and totally. that. Very sex positive, very yes. cool. And I watched one of her vi- her videos. And I was so distracted because she looks just like Barry Manilow. She really oh, does. Oh, now you've ruined now. it. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm I just put that in my head. Look it at was, that, look at that album like, over doesn't there doesn't now. Doesn't she kind of, who does she look like? Oh, no. Oh. And then it was awful but awesome. And, you know, that in, <laughs> that in turn means that she looks like Vera Katz. So that's like doubly bad. Oh, no. Um, I thought Vera Katz was the Joker. No, no, she's very, very Manilow. Um, the uh, Nina Hartley, by the way, if you're not a porn aficionado, uh, Nina Hartley uh, is known to some audiences as William H. Macy's uh, unfaithful wife in Boogie Nights, who he kills mm-hmm. uh, on, on New Year's Eve. That's Nina Hartley. But she was called, for a long time, they called her America's Sweetheart. She was one of the first kind of girl-next-door porn types back in the Golden Age. And you're right, she does a very... Well, just 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 smart as a whip too. Yes, um, very much. Just, uh, but she does a lot of sex positive. She's like, um, uh, what's her name? Annie Sprinkle, Susie Annie, Sprinkle, Annie Sprinkle, whatever her name is. Annie Sprinkle. But she does a lot of sex positive and seminars. Tristan Terramino. And, Tristan Terramino is wonderful too. And she's just great. Nina Hartley really is quite wonderful, and you know, of course, very sexy. But uh, you know, so you meet so many people and. I don't really do it anymore, but in earlier versions of the show, you know, I interviewed my share of porn stars and, and whatever, and they're all kind of, I don't want to say, I mean, just some of them have kind of a hard edge, and you get the feeling there's not a lot behind that face or behind the whatever, and Nina Hartley's not like that. There's no. a lot of, I mean, she's really, she's pretty great. Very intelligent, very, very, very well-spoken. And looks well like Barry Manilow. Does kind of look like, a little bit like Barry Manilow, and I was just, it was really hard. Well, I got to tell you, that's like when I, and really, there's a handful of, uh, so to speak, a handful of porn stars <laughs> we've had on the show that I was really, I mean, obviously, Ron Jeremy, you know, he's, he's a you know, pop he's culture icon. He's a wonderful icon. guy, too. And Great a, guy. And, and a music nerd. And he's in the auteur as well. Yes. Um, we've had him on the show, which I was really, really glad about, because he's, uh, you know, an icon in the mm-hmm. culture, he's popular culture and personified. We had... Um, a whole bunch of others. But the other one that I was really, really Christy excited Canyon? about, Christy Canyon, mm-hmm. who for a long time, as a younger man, uh, Christy Canyon was really just, she was it, man. I mean, she was really just, uh, and it sounds creepy. You know, see, and the weird thing is it almost sounds creepy to say that she was a porn star crush. But, I mean, she was really just truly beautiful, uh, you know, back in her day. And I think, despite her denials, I think she's had a lot of plastic surgery done. And she oh, yeah. she doesn't look anything like, like she sort of did in, in her glory days. But, uh, well, it's like looking at young Jenna and Jenna now. That's oh, not dude, that's Jenna Jameson looks awful. Human. Jenna looks like she's been melon balled. She's just <laughs> all, uh, like half of what she was. At and her then thin. left outside to raisin out. Yeah, yeah. she's yeah. creepy looking. Yeah, yeah it's, too, it's too thin. And it, you know, the thing is, Jenna Jameson was truly beautiful. And it, mm-hmm. and if you if she had aged naturally, she would have looked older, but I think would have still been beautiful. Still totally. Bad. You know, and it's like it's not. You know, you, you don't have to look bad, but you, you at a certain point you can't. Like you got to move on. You got to move on past a certain age that you've decided to hold on to forever. And you know something. There's something to be said for every. There, there is generally a a large demographic, a specific age demographic that watches porn. But there, everybody loves and enjoys porn. And I think people would enjoy seeing porn of people their own age having right. sex, right. like attractive people. Right. But attractive people of a certain age. Right. You know, you don't want to see grandmas. You know, getting I would. Around. I would. Well. Well, maybe Rick does. I do have to say that there's. I saw on the shelf this movie uh, once, and it really was just on the shelf on at, at shelf? a porn store. No, oh, at a porn okay. store. Uh-huh. Uh, when I lived in Salt Lake, 
when we went to Vegas, uh, it was always like, let's hit all the stores you can't shop at in Vegas. And I don't even really know that I wanted to buy that much porn, but it's like you lived in Salt Lake. It was like the prohibition thing. They, could, they wouldn't sell it to me, so I wanted it. Right. So every time you go to Vegas, you're like, I'm going to buy some porn. Screw Utah. And I saw this film, and it was, um, it was how do I put this? Uh, it was an interracial porn featuring, um, hmm. it was featuring uh, hot, muscular black men. There's no way around it. Um, and uh, uh, older women, women past a certain age, and it was just called, uh, it was called Black and Gray. Not black and white. Oh, wow. So there you go. That's pretty interesting. That's a great title. Yeah. yeah. There was another one called uh, Black and White in Color. Uh, <laughs> I love porn titles. Wouldn't that be the best job in the world? Just yeah. to Betty sit White and think of porn titles? Well, that's the thing about this movie, The Auteur. The Auteur. I know. They so, must have had such a good time uh, we, sitting around thinking about uh, it. And we can't, we can't say any of them on the air. The only one we can say here is Five Easy Nieces. We can Five say that one. Five Easy Nieces. And yeah. there's a play on Full Metal Jacket. And you can uh, take yes. that last word and think about it. Yes, you can. <laughs> think about it now. We'll take a break. We'll come back after this. Metal. Turn on some Nina Hartley. Stop now. And... Uh, no, that was... Uh, back after this, uh, we return with more. Tim Riley around the corner. Storm Large, Aaron Duran. Don't go anywhere, ladies and germs. Hi. All right. Sorry, they were discussing porn titles, so I pulled all of them down. Good for you. Thank you. <laughs> Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson radio program. And so forth. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. This email says, Rick, can you de-sweeten my microphone ever so slightly? Thank you. You want yourself to be quieter? I know. It's opposite day. Rick, I haven't started playing Left 4 Dead yet. It's on my plate. I have a copy, but I just haven't been able to pick it up. Oh, I'm sorry. He says I haven't been willing to pick up Left 4 Dead yet. All my Xbox Live friends seem to be universally consumed by it, and I cannot tell you how many times I have heard people here in the cafeteria talking about it as in, it's like you're living in a zombie movie. It sounds like a huge time sink. Uh, question, are they zombies a la Night of the Living Dead or infected a la 28 Days Later? Are they something in between? Tony in Seattle. Um... Uh, Left for Dead for the Xbox 360. Um, they are a combination. There are sta- there's basically three different kinds. There's staggering, lurching, kind of slow zombies. There are the occasional running zombies. Uh, you know, fewer of those, but they're more lethal. And then there's some that are kind of in between. You know, that have some some like jumping skills and a few that have like what appear to be superpowers. But there are a lot of the just staggering, slumping, lurching zombies. They're all freaking terrifying. Damn it! I gotta buy an Xbox 360. Or find someone no. to buy one well, for me. Well, here's the thing, and then we'll uh, go to the news here in a moment. This, I will tell you the thing with Left 4 Dead. I'm in the same boat as that guy. I rented it the day, the week it came out, uh, and Laura was still, uh, you know, she was out of the country. I rented Left 4 Dead, and boy, it just my time just went down the drain like it was into a black hole. So I returned it, and I haven't bought it for that reason. Uh, I have not purchased it simply because of that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, more from Storm Large, Aaron Duran here in a skosh at the Ministry of Truth, Tim Riley. And now, though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. A singer was stabbed to death for hogging a mic at a karaoke bar. The man got carried away at a karaoke bar. 
him been stabbed to death for singing too much and refusing to hand over the microphone. Abdul Sani Dahl was performing in the town of Malaysia and not telling others that he too wanted to share the limelight. A group of men grew furious that Dahl was hogging the stage and a brawl broke out. The 23-year-old was punched and stabbed in the angry confrontation. Two suspects have been detained. A woman in Seattle recently attacked another patron at a karaoke bar because the singer had butchered a song by her favorite band, Coldplay. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. Don't ruin Coldplay. Not Coldplay. (laughs) Jesus. You know, I would say uh, in the Jeopardy category in my head marked bands that I keep being told I ought to care about, but just don't. Coldplay is like, man, that's like the $1,000 uh, question right there. Everybody insists that I like Coldplay, and I just, I mean, I don't even think it's a thing. I don't even dislike them because I'm being told I have to like them. I just find them sort of bland. But it's like I keep, I feel like, I feel sort of dumb and uncool that I don't like them, as though I'm not quite as smart as the other kids in class. No, you're fine. Yeah, it's yeah all right. you're, you're cool. We love you. All right, I'm just saying. Okay. You're cool. very cool. No, yeah, yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, all right. No, they're like the church of the average. Yeah, that's the church it, of the mediocre. That's what I'm saying. It's sort of a, like Coldplay to me sort of sounds like if if you two was a beverage, Coldplay or that beverage, like if all the ice had sort of melted and it had gone kind of tepid. Mm-hmm. All right, here's Tim Riley. Last but not least, this must be the cruelest mother in the world. A 10-year-old girl's mom in Great Britain has been convicted of kidnapping the child in a scheme to keep thousands of dollars in reward money. Karen Matthews and her ex-boyfriend's uncle, Matthew Donovan, pled guilty in court for kidnapping, false imprisonment, and perverting the cause of justice. Matthews' daughter, Shannon, disappeared early this year as she was walking home from school. She was nine years old at the time. After an intensive search, the child was found in Donovan's apartment less than a mile from where she lived. She'd been held for 24 days. Donovan kept the girl drugged and tied up in a plan to claim nearly $74,000 in reward money. Matthews denied abducting her daughter, blaming the kidnapping on her former partner, Craig Maheen, and members of the family. Donovan, who is Maheen's mother, said he was afraid of Matthews and agreed to participate in the kidnapping because he feared for his life. A lead investigating officer in the case later described Matthews as, quote, Pure evil. And he's pure evil, and he's accused of what? Perverting something or other? Perverting justice. Perverting the course of justice is one of those things that I'd love to be accused of. (laughs) Like menacing. You know what I mean? Or what is that? uh, There was something about the RICO. There was some guy who was accused of something like a RICO conspiracy. But it was, he he was accused of something that sounds like unbelievably awesome. Uh, You know, it was like, uh, the hell was it? I don't know. It was like he, he was, but they, like, it was like being charged with being a badass. Basically, they were like, "We charge you with being the coolest, the most frightening person on earth." So, all right, perverting the court of justice. Oh, I should. I, I'm probably deafening Storm because her headphones are plugged into the same pot as mine. I wonder. Well, there was a whole thing where during the break, Storm and Aaron were talking about porn titles, and Sarah, God bless her, took the precaution of potting down all the microphones, <laughs> and then just potted them back up. But you know, you don't really know where the levels are set until people start talking. Uh, and then, you know, everybody was all deaf. I'm also, fine. I meant to go to the uh, restroom during the last break and failed to do so. We're oh, going oh, okay. to break again now. <laughs> uh, back after this, ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley, greatest newsman in the history of the Woo! world. Back at 4, 5, 6, and 7. Top of the hour, all the way to like us. All right, we'll see you on the other side with Aaron and Storm. Don't go anywhere. We now enter the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson radio program. Uh, coming up at uh, 3, Tom Likas, Michael Mara Show at 7. 
Uh, tomorrow, Miles Around with Dennis Pitsenbarger, 9 to 11. And then uh, Sunday, well, two things, actually. Kristen Bowie is going to join us for a couple minutes here in a couple minutes to talk about musicology. This Sunday, 7 to 9, uh, Kristen Bowie and Adam Thompson. Uh, musicology, 7 to 9 on Sunday, a discussion of all things musical. But, yes, this coming Sunday... 6 p.m. This, and then we haven't even Pimp Storms thing yet, so we'll do that here in a second. But um, this coming Sunday, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m., Aaron Duran. Indeed, yes. Uh, the 6 p.m. on AM 970, The Talker, we'll be debuting CBS Radio Theater with the first episodes of AZ and the Adventures of the Crimson Mist. And i got to say... It's, it's the only uh, way I can say that title. I think, I think they're going to be pretty righteous. I will play one 10-second tease here just to give you kind of a... Awesome. Uh, when there is no more room in hell, the dead will walk through Portland. AZ is coming. CBS Radio Theater debuts Sunday, December 7th at 6 p.m. Only on AM 970, The Talker. So, you know, we've been kind of gushing about it forever, but... You know. I'm, I'm not going to give anything away, obviously. No spoilers. I'm not even saying who's uh, doing any vocal acting in the shows. Um, uh, but uh, yesterday I was uh, wandering around the area where the first episode of AZ takes place. That's freaking me out, man. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> that's the one thing I'll say. Uh, you know, there's obviously a lot. You know, written by uh, Aaron Duran, directed by Jason Crump. Um, uh, you know, we've said some of the cast and the you know crew in the press release that went out, but it's 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 pretty righteous. And the AZ takes place in modern day Portland. Crimson Mist uh, takes place in 1943 Portland. Mm -hmm. But the great thing is, both of them, there are recognizable Portland landmarks. Yeah, and we made a point of trying to reference. I mean, it's not real blatant, like, and here is the building where right. we just, you know. But it's very organically yeah. set. Yeah. Uh, and Sarah, I told Sarah this. Sarah has a little bit of a spoiler law that I told her that um, in AZ, there is a pretty gripping sequence, let's say, that takes place. Um, at, at a place in Portland I know you go to. I do. Frequently. Very much so. And so you'll never look at it the same way. Have fun going there from yeah. now on. <laughs> Rains. So what time is it on? Six o'clock, Sunday night. Yes. And to answer the uh, questions, I, I that somebody emailed me earlier today, and they're like, you know, you're no Rollins. I emailed you three days ago, and you haven't been, I've been really good about my email for the last... Basically, ever since Rollins answered my no wife's email. No one is Rollins. No, but I... <laughs> He's amazing. It's like he responded there's to my wife like four minutes later. Dear Laura, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Henry. And so I tried to turn over a new leaf, and I was doing really well until, like, the last week or so where I just got totally behind. Um, but so I haven't had a chance to respond to these. But, yes, uh, it will be streaming online. You'll listen online, and it's going to be podcast as well. So CBS Radio Theater uh, this Sunday at 6. Storm Large, Hello. away. <laughs> now, this is just, like, sort of a pre-whore. Um, Storm Large <laughs> is the pre-whore. I, I am the pre-whore. <laughs> uh, no, we're getting ready to do our uh, second annual Winter Wonder Ball at the Wonder Ballroom. On December 19th and December 20th, the 19th is benefiting the Oregon Music Hall of Fame for Music Education, mm -hmm. and Saturday the 20th is the Sarah Palin Planned Parenthood Benefit. Yeah. So she is gone, but she is not forgotten. That is so righteous. <laughs> Lest we forget. So what is so if you can't do what what exactly is that? That's a dumb question. The Wonder Ball. It's we did it last year. We put it together really at last minute, but Sam Adams asked me to do it every year and make it a thing. Uh, make it an annual party with, uh, it's kind of like an old school uh, Carol Burnett variety show with all local talent uh, benefiting local um, charities and uh, with local sponsorships and whatnot. Right. And so this year we have Liv Warfield, Mike Crenshaw, China Forbes, Thomas Lauderdale, Stephanie Schneiderman. Um, Stephanie Schneiderman, Stephanie Smith from Cleveland, yeah. Dan Savage will be coming down from LA. Whoop, whoop. Um, Randy Leonard and Sam Adams will be having a dance-off, and 
and um, Sam Adams. Oh, yeah, he's and, so creepy. Uh, Seriously, you, I would. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> well, wait till you watch Be Randy careful. Leonard. Wait, wait till you watch Randy Leonard perform too. That's a dirty, dirty man. Randy Leonard <laughs> is really my personal hero. Yeah, he he's he is really up the bar for politicians' <laughs> bravado. So I went to the Winter Wonder Ball last year, and mm-hmm. it was uh, it was fantastic. It was great. So it it should be great this year. But so uh, when is it but, this year? The 19th and 20th of December, Friday and Saturday. Awesome. And the, but when I said what the other thing I was actually about was the was the uh, the Sarah Palin Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. Is that a separate event? No, it's uh, it's basically I I was so inspired by um, that little creationist clown car vice presidential nominee that uh, I wanted to benefit Planned Parenthood, and I decided to roll it into. Oh, okay, so that's okay. yeah, Why it's two that? separate Why benefits, that? two nights. Two different shows and two separate benefits. So will you actually be making the, the donation in Sarah Palin's name? Yes, indeed Parenthood? we will. Um, yes, yes, we will. She'll we get a big thank you package in Alaska so she could buy lots of pucks and go puck herself. Uh, there you go. Storm Large, ladies thank and gentlemen. You. The Winter Wonder Ball. Uh, you can find out more at stormlarge.com. And you can see her pretty picture in the Mercury, too. Yes, yes please. Uh, bid on me. You can hang out with me backstage and watch my goofy show and have tea with me. And you're being auctioned for $1.99. $1.99 is the opening bid. Wonderful. She's cheaper than an iTunes download. <laughs> uh, Aaron Durant. How much time do we have here, sir? I have about five and a half minutes. All right, so we got that. Uh, Aaron Duran, yes. FilmFeverRadio.com, Geek in the City. FilmFeverRadio.com. The new episode is up where I give the world's only uh, law review of Punisher Warzone because that's okay. really all it deserves. Uh, but the highlight of this week's episode is that we did interview uh, Grave Robber from Repo for almost half an hour. It was a full-on nerd fest. So you got to download that and check it out. Was it one of those interviews where he clearly had nowhere else to be? No, no, he was. Like, act- it's not a junket. It's like you're the only person who even called. You know, they're kind of pushing this movie like William Castle used to in the '60s. Like they got picked up by Lionsgate, but now Lionsgate won't support them. So they are literally taking their film city to city, William Castle style. So it's, it's kind of cool. What was cute is he was really nervous at first, didn't know what mm-hmm. to expect until he dropped a zombie joke and we replied in kind, and then it was on. Excellent. He was like, "So thanks Very for having me on your show. Don't aim for the head. I'm like, the only way to keep him down, man." He's like, "Yeah." yeah. And then it was off and running. All yeah. right, that's wonderful. And then this Sunday is CBS Radio Theater. All right, hey Storm, before you go, I know you're packing up to uh, to get on out of here. Um, I meant to ask you, did, the Nina Hartley thing. Did you say it was a video or was like a thing you saw her in person do a thing? Oh, it was a video. She oh, she see. has a video series, and I, I'm I'm sorry. Oh, it's like How to Please Your Man. No. No, not, no, not just not. It's not a singular focus. It's, there's a series of videos, DVDs that she has produced herself on oh. her own dime to improve people's sex life right, in general. Right, right. And basically, lessons from a porn star: how to do certain things correctly and better than correctly. Richie has books on that as well. And there's oh, also a, there's a really good store that would carry that, and it's not like a. Yeah. It's not like a slimy kind of like adult style porn store with a, a sticky floor. You're talking about our fine sponsor, Taboo Adult Video. Uh, I am talking about taboo adult video. All right, there we go. Uh, hey, before we talk to Kristen Bowie, real quickly, R- Storm, uh, because you, uh, I like the fact that you started your segment by saying you love porn. Yeah. So let me just tell you this, as Sarah can attest, I can talk endlessly about porn, because uh, porn to me is sort of like, um, I was going to say it's like World of Warcraft, but it's one of those things where... Everything is like World of Warcraft right now, Rick. Well, yeah. <laughs> Prepare for the wrath of the Lich King. But I mean... Apart from just the actual thing itself, the porn itself, the game itself, the culture and just the phenomenon, the social impact of it is endlessly fascinating. Here's something to think about. I constantly talk about this documentary I'm going to do someday that is, you know, it's a series of small documentaries. In other words, a bunch of 10-minute documentaries like who are the guys who play on Muzak Records. Mm -hmm. So one of them is, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, there were all of these, like, 
before porn became mainstream, there were all these like loops and just, you know, like bad porn films where some guy with five grand got some girls to hump it out on the couch and then he released it and made a few bucks and vanished. Timmy Ryan, of all people, gave me this DVD and it was a bunch of trailers for old 70s porn films. 99.999% of these films you had never heard of. I mean, it was like Behind the Green Door right. yeah. and Devil and Miss Jones. But then the other ones were like, you know, whatever. It was just, you know, like, uh, I didn't remember. But it was not even clever titles. Just clearly a guy had a camera and some slutty friends and a few dollars, and he made it. And then the movie came out and played in a couple theaters somewhere and then vanished forever. Like the my, guy who played Hogan. Totally. And my, my Yes. And my whole thing is, that was in the 70s. Those girls were like 20. So they're like 45 or 50. Like, where are they now? Ah. Is there some girl, not like a girl next door kind of a thing, but like literally a girl who did a movie 30 years ago and has forgotten all about it herself even. Like, where is she? Hmm. You know, where are, the, where are the girls in those old films right now? That's so. fascinating. I mean, porn is a really fascinating. I mean, we could do a whole, uh, we got to get to other things here, but we, I will come back and I will go porn toe-to-toe with you. That's what I'm talking about. All Let's right. segue from porn to World of Warcraft and to musicology. World of Warcraft enthusiast Kristen Bowie. Hello, Hello. Kristen. How are you today? Good. How are you? I am fantastic. All right. So, uh, World of Warcraft and musicology, Hello. just two of your interests and pursuits, Kristen. Of course. What's coming up on this Sunday's musicology? Well, since it is Pearl Harbor Day, we're going to be doing musical bombs. So, That's too soon. Yeah. I guess it's not too soon. It's kind of too soon. <laughs> All right. Musical bombs for Pearl Harbor Day. Yeah. So, um, is this Adam's like idea? It. What do you think? Come it on, was Adam's idea. Was that Timmy's last idea? Seriously. Um, no. <laughs> right. would, never mind. Has Sometimes... Timmy called in from Nashville? No, not at all. No, and you know what? And I'm living on the streets. And no, can I say this? That Shelly's no longer in his top eight friends on my screen. They deleted each other. And oh! I heard that they've already broken up for the first time no! in Nashville. Yeah. They broke Damn. up like ten times in Portland. We're so calling Timmy on Monday. Oh, yeah, he, he claims are. on his blog that they're still together, but I have no That's clue. Funny. It's like, I, I read his blog. It's like Shelly and I are looking or sitting under a new no. apartment. I'm like, there ain't no Yeah, they got, they got into a fight like a week ago, so who knows? They've already deleted each other? At a going away party. Mm-hmm. I remember. Here's yeah, the they thing. did that too. Right Timmy, if you're left. listening, if you're listening, I mean, dude. You're in radio. That's it. You don't don't derail the gravy train, baby. You, <laughs> seriously. Hey, wait a minute. She's a nurse, right? I should also oh, yeah. mention that we're That's also having Rachelle and her posse come in. So. Right. So, oh, yes. yeah. yeah. So, so you're going to be talking about biggest musical bombs. Now, is that songs, albums? Songs. Yeah. Mainly Can artists. Can you give me one example of what you're talking um, about? Well, Jada Pinkett Smith had a metal album. I forgot all about that. Jaded, <laughs> they were called. They were called... It was... It's or no, not Jaded. That was... um. Jada was Tina Yothers' band, I think. It's um, fantastic in all the right ways. All right, and plus, uh, now is Richie going to be performing? Yes, yes. Wait, he hasn't performed on this show, that bastard. <laughs> He'll be performing, and we'll have a saxophone player and a pianist. And... Oh, I'm totally coming in. <laughs> You're more than welcome. So Richie, so Rochelle Crystal is going to be performing on Musicology before he performs on this show. Oh, there's going to be a, there's going to be. A Listen, problem. Rochelle can't be seen during the week. You know how it works. <laughs> really? Yeah. All right. This coming Sunday, seven to nine, musicology with Kristen Bowie and Adam Thompson. But before that, six to seven, CBS Radio Theater featuring A Z so and the Adventures of the Crimson Mist live radio drama returns to CBS Radio Portland and this coming Sunday. Six you can catch me tonight on the Court and Fat Boy Midnight Movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory at the yeah. Baghdad. There you go, kids. Be there. All right. Uh, we want to thank Kristen Bowie, Storm Large, Aaron Duran. Anybody else? We have somebody else today? I guess not. CNN Radio Correspondent Steve Kastam. I'm James Rupp, Lisa Desjardins. Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Terex Dillon for Amon. Sorry, the talker in the newsroom, Tim Riley in the phones. Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave Zinn, webmistress, Bridget from upstairs, CBS Radio, Portland marketing guru, Susan, don't F with me, Reynolds. Uh, as always, thanks for listening. Be safe and uh, watch out for snakes. See you all on Monday. Thanks.